Good to be here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. We'll talk uh, dogs football. Jordan Hill, dogs 247, uh, going to join us. And we'll get the very latest coming out of Athens as Georgia getting ready to defend. It's got to make a lot of Bulldogs uh, fans' hearts glad. Defend the uh, the national championship. Also, we'll chat with uh, Tremaine Jackson. He steps in, head coach at Valdosta State. Speaking of national champions, uh, they played in the national championship game last year. Right after the game was over, uh, Gary Goff takes another job. Tremaine Jackson comes in from Colorado to take over in Titletown. And we'll talk about talk to him about that transition. A, a championship program, uh, a lot of steep tradition. You come from outside the area to try to maintain uh, that that tradition. We'll talk to him about that coming up here in about uh, 30 minutes or so on the program. Also a conversation with Gary Stoken of the Atlanta Sports Council. Obviously the kickoff uh, coming up with Georgia and Oregon in the not-too-distant future. So a lot to get to here on the show. 912-342-7184. You can join us. You can also catch us uh, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com uh, or the ESPN app. And uh, if you want to see Ben and I smiling faces... You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, go to our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal, and you can uh, watch the show there, our Facebook and uh, and Twitter channels, and you can uh, catch the show broadcasted live. But, Ben, I mean, you'd like to say we're in a better mood. Mm. A lot has happened since last mm, Thursday. A lot. A lot has happened since last Thursday. Most importantly, not a lot of Braves winning happened since uh, since last Thursday. Braves go 1-4 and four in the series with the Mets, I said, look, I think the Braves still have enough to overtake the Mets going into the series. I look at it now and say, it's doable, but there's not a lot of baseball. I mean, think about how much the Braves had to do to trim the lead from yes. 10 down to 4 to 3, yes. uh, what they've done. Can they do that in the basically month and three quarters they have left? It's certainly going to be way more difficult. You do have a lot of head-to-heads left. With the Mets, but I look at it, and for all the well, the umps are bad, and all all the stuff you you can say. Look, I, and again, fans will say all that stuff. I'm just the bottom line of you didn't win, and not only did you not win, you didn't look good in a lot of those games. No, and maybe you could turn that around and uh, look like a better baseball team, what have you. But at least for now, you it, 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 you think the Mets have the upper hand. Now, anything happens in the postseason when you get there. But for now, regular season, Mets have got the upper hand uh, with the way things went this weekend. You were getting no hit uh, until Dansby broke that up. You had to play from behind a lot, and you didn't get, according to the book, great starting pitch that you've kind of relied on uh, throughout uh, a good portion of this turnaround and come back this season. So that being said, Bill, what's your posture here on a Monday? If you're a Braves fan, Braves fans love to hear from you. What's your posture here on a Monday? After losing four or five to the Mets, is it concerned? Is it the the Mets are a better team? Is it just you slough it off as bad series all the way around? I tend to look at it as Mets made a statement. How do you respond? You didn't play well, but the Mets played really, really good. And you're going to have to beat a team like that if you want to repeat and win the World Series. And I think the Mets kind of have that statement of, hey, the Mets are going to Mets. Clemson's going to Clemson. You know, that was a thing till it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So I still think you can rely a little bit on, hey, maybe the Mets have a slip up. But what we saw this weekend was a focused Met team, a team that wanted to make a statement, a team that went out to prove something to itself, and they did that. 
Uh, ben, so I think if you're the Braves, you have some more games coming up with the Mets. You're going to have to take advantage there. But as far as winning the division, it's going to take a little bit of a slide by the Mets, and you're going to have to continue to play at a pretty high clip down the stretch if you're going to whittle yourself back in this thing. Very, very impressed by the Mets this weekend. I think what happens to Kevin, the one game that the Braves did win, I mean, the Mets was making a, I mean, the Mets was making a comeback in that game. You think you're up 8-0 and you think you're safe, and here come the Mets. Those other four games, I mean, it it kind of got out of hand and kind of stayed out of hand. I think what I learned about the Mets is this. DeGrom, Scherzer, whoo! They're really, really good. Pete Alonzo, about as dangerous of a player, not named Acuna, not named, uh, you know, Aaron Judge. You give him anything. Now, I know... Ronald Acuna Jr., which I'm going to talk, talk about him in a second, robbed him of a homer, or oh, that would have been another one. That's what I learned about the Mets. While we're waiting on the Mets to do something, it might not happen in this regular season. It might happen in the postseason. Because, Kevin, they their lineup, I mean, they could hurt you, especially with a guy like Pete Alonzo. Their pitching could hurt you. And when they went up against a team like the Braves, while we the last four years the Braves have been, you know, arguably the class you know, of the division. Winning it, winning, winning it the last four years. Well, the Mets have been getting better. They've been making moves, and the Mets, the Mets, the Mets approach to winning is pitching. Like we're going to throw a bunch of money at pitches, well, and yeah, we hope. Well, and again, you got a new owner who's a billionaire, and he's, absolutely. And, and Steve and, and, Cohen has said, "I'm going to make this team." A yeah, win. but I will say this: Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, he was a bright spot. I mean, kind of, you know, got back to his old self. I think sometimes, you know, Kevin, we so focus on what the Braves do with rifle and so that's who we cover. The Mets have gotten better. The Mets understand this. This team is dangerous enough to go from a 10.5 game lead, uh, we have a 10.5 game lead on them to, you know, two, two games. But when we play them is when we kind of get to flex our muscle a little bit. Is that an indicator of what happens, you know, towards the end of the season? We don't know. But I was very, very impressed with what I saw by the Mets, man. They, like, they, they, I, don't know what, I don't know what it is this year about, about scoring in baseball. You go from, you know, it's a, you know, a, nice, a nice pitching battle to up 2-0, 3-0. You can go four or five, you know, runs in an inning – and then you spend the rest of the game trying to battle back. I give the Mets a lot of credit, though. I think because we're so used to at a certain point in the Mets, okay, honeymoon is over, this show is over. No, they seem to be a team that plays really rare well when they play against, you know, the Braves. The Braves are still a very, very good team. I think that when you have essentially had your way with the division the last four years, somebody wants to be able to say, hey, we want to get some get back. Now, it's, listen, it's all, all, fair, all fair in the regular season. I get it. <clears throat> it's all about what you do in the postseason. But if this is indeed a year that the Braves do have to settle for a wild card spot, you know the Mets have earned it. Like, sure. you know they didn't give it away easily. I'm not throwing in the towel for those of you listening, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying, Kevin, the games that the Braves lost, it was impressive. Like, the Mets, you know, it's like, dude, I'm trying not to give them no love, but look at this stuff. It's like from pitching to, you know, to, you know, to obviously the bats and – but it is the Mets. They are they are the best team right now in the NL East. Even though I think the Braves still got a shot for this for this last series, you would have told me the Braves gonna. I mean the Braves gonna go. I mean they gonna win one out of five. Man, I and you know double head lost a double header. Obviously, I think they got to look. Listen, lick your wounds, deal with it, move on to the next series. And hopefully, I th- what I mean, and, and you don't get a lot of time in between. I think you got another five, four or five game series coming up with these Mets again. But that's gonna be the barometer. Like what I saw from the Mets, love what I saw from Ronald Acuna Jr. Hopefully he can he can yeah. stick with that because obviously you know he 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 exiled. I mean I know when he got his homer, he kind of looked to the heavens like you know I know he got his five hundred <laughs> head and so there are some bright spots. I think Snit said the best. He goes, look man, that's a good that's a good ball club over there. It's not like you know we're the defending World Series champs from last year. We still got to earn every single game this year. 
I think Ian Anderson got got. I think he's like the twenty seventh man on the roster now. They they say, look, he's gonna be back. We, I, uh, Snit told Ian, you 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 are part of our you know future plans, aka the playoffs. But right now, well, you need to go work on your stuff, man, because it ain't getting no better right now. But uh, hey. Mets took four out of five. They handled business. They've handled business every time they played the Braves this year. That's a sign of a team that understands we got to play our best when we're up against the best. The Braves got to, you know, have a short memory, try to get back to their winning ways and get ready for another series coming up with these pesky Mets here real soon. And hopefully, Kevin, yeah. they get some get back in that series. Yeah, look, I, I, I think for the Braves, you said you can't let a Mets series dictate what yeah. happens yeah. now because now you go to Boston. Boston's been struggling uh, for two uh, you get the Marlins coming up this weekend. And they're, look, are the Marlins going to be a postseason team? Probably not this year, but they're a better team than people think they are. They're they're a solid baseball team. And if you go in there and take that for granted, well, I mean, you lose three out of four to the uh, to the Marlins. You got a doubleheader coming up this weekend again. You know, all of a sudden it's a different scenario uh, for Atlanta. So I think uh, the... Short-term memory stuff we talk about in sports all the time, Ben, is so uh, so applicable here because uh, I, I just look at it and say, hey, so much was made going into that series. By both sides, by the way. Look, yeah, yeah. The Mets could downplay and say, well, look, it's the Braves. They knew it was a big series. They, they treated did. it like a big series. And I think uh, on the Braves side, you went into that thing. Uh, from a fan standpoint, I saw a lot of it. Oh, look, going into it, the Mets are going to met. We got this. We'll take at least three and, you know, gain, gain a game on this thing, and we're right there. I think outside of going 0 for 5, 1 and 4 is pretty bad, right? Uh, and and there, are, there are people that would say if you're going to – there might even be people say, look, it'd probably be better to just go 0 and 5 uh, and, and really put a message into your team uh, about where you're at than, than even 1 and 4. But, look, this is a Braves team that is young. Uh, they've got a lot of things that have happened around this team. Uh, they got a pedigree uh, of winning. they got an expectation to win. And, Ben, I think this is a team that still – you get to the postseason, mm-hmm. and people say, well, the, the starting pitching falls apart. I mean, look at how the postseason is pitched in Major League Baseball. That's one sport, Ben, where you can honestly say the postseason doesn't even resemble no, what happens even. in the regular season. No. You may only want two or three innings out of your starter in the postseason, and we saw that uh, with – with the Braves last year, you had Tucker Davidson. You had Kyle Wright. They're like, hey, if we need you to give us three. If you give us more than that, great. But the 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 uh, we're going to have a, a short leash here. And if you give us more than that, great. But you manage it differently. You play the game uh, a little bit differently when it comes to the postseason. And as we've seen, anything can happen in baseball in, in the postseason. So I'm not using this to say, oh, the Braves are, are fine. It was disheartening what happened. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at the the moving parts of the Braves and say, is this team vulnerable in a in a a short series? Because it may take that to get to the next round. You look at how they fared. That was a playoff series. They played this week against the Mets. You went one and five. If you're in a five game series, you you lose. You're done uh, against that team. So I think it's one of those things that happens in August. A refocusing of the team because. I mean, Ben, for the entire month of, of, of July and, and most of June, all we kept saying, I mean, it became a thing, the Braves never lose. Yeah. The, the, yeah. You know, and and that, that meme came out there, and everybody patting them on the back about, hey, this is how good this team is, and be dangerous. And they're, you know, they, they might be the number 
uh, the three team in Major League Baseball based on power rankings and perception, based on how they're playing even better than the Mets. And they got all these young talent. And Alex Anthopoulos is over here off to the side working up wizardry, and he's getting long-term deals done and this and that, and everything he does turns to gold, and then you lose four out of five reality, to the Mets. Yeah, and I check. think that's to, to be a a good refocusing, if you will, of the Atlanta Braves baseball team. And, and, I, and, and there it is, Kevin. Right, listen. All those things could be true. Like everything you said, listen, Alex Anthopoulos is doing some wizardry. Right? He is able to keep this core together when you look at what he did, you know, uh, with Austin Riley. Now you got Austin Riley, and I, you know, and Isaiah. And you talk about Ronald Lacuna. You talk about Matt Olson. Now you got to talk about getting a guy like Dansby Swanson done in the offseason. Still got to play the Mets. Still got to play baseball. And if you are SNIT, you are got, if you are SNIT, you say to yourself, dude, I've seen it all with this team, man. I, I get to show – how good of a manager I am when I am when I am you know uh, responding to adversity. I got to make sure these players know. Look, man, that's why you can't live in, to, in, in you know in the past. Yes, we got rings, and that's forever. Yes, um, Ronald Acuna, um, you know, and uh, Michael Harris out there in the, in the you know in uh, in the outfield uh, pointing to their ring fingers when they're looking at Mets fans and the Mets fans saying, "What about now?" And I think that's the thing, man. Who are we right now? Still really, really good. I'm not, you know, still really, really good. But how good do we want to be? Because the thing about baseball is, different than any other sport, you don't get but a couple of days off in during the season. So you got to get back right, get right back to it. And, and Kevin, at the end of the day, the Braves know this, man. We gonna have to earn it. We said going into this season, the hardest division of baseball might be the NL East. It might be the hardest one, top to bottom, as far as like teams that are. Listen, the bottom, the bottom. Okay, you got the bottom tier team. The Phillies are good enough to win this thing. The Nats, I mean, if, if Strasburg ain't pitching, don't even talk to, I don't even want don't even talk to me about the Nats. What the Mets are doing right now is showing, look, man, it's working. That's with DeGrom coming off of injury. That's with Scherzer and guys coming off of injury. Now, Braves gonna get some guys back. Rosario is selling in pretty well. But I got to say this. Marcelo Zuna, what in the world? I ain't never seen Kevin a guy that that's okay at the plate be such a liability in the field. I'm like, what in the world is Marcel doing? Bray, I mean, Mets, kudos to the Mets. I ain't finna take nothing away from them. But you are right, Kevin. If you are Snit, Snit is saying, hey, man, our reality check is series to series. Not what we did in June. Not even what we did in July. Who are we in August? Because right now, man, it's, it's a fight to the finish. So everybody say, 162 games, that's too many games. Nope. You need every single <laughs> game. And that's, that's the true. crazy thing about baseball. Because when you, if you, you know, you're in a division like the NL East, you know, hey, man, one series could be the difference in, you know, coming in as a wild card and winning the division or not making, not making the playoffs. So the Braves, hey, it was, thank God it's over. Another one is coming here real soon. Handle your business against Boston. Handle your business against the Marlins. Maybe, you know, give yourself something to feel good about because uh, I think the Mets coming. I think the Mets coming to Truist. Man, you want to you have a good showing in front of your home crowd. Yeah, try to gain some of that ground back at the end of the day. We got so much to get to here on the show. Preseason NFL is in full swing. Leave it to the Jags last week to score 11. Uh, ben and I kind of laughed about that of all the teams. Like, you come out, we got to love it. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk some Georgia football. It's college football. It's on the big countdown as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll chat with Tremaine Jackson, Dallas State head football coach. He will join us coming up here in just a little bit, replacing Gary Goff went to the national championship game last year with Valdosta State. Comes from the outside, came from uh, Colorado, 
uh, into a program that's got a championship tradition. We'll ask him about that transition and more. But, uh, Ben, preseason, you had the Hall of Fame game this week, this past week. Uh, the Jags scored 11 uh, in, in a loss to the, the Oakland Raiders. Um, you're looking at all these practice videos uh, out there. Uh, the one making the rounds is, you know, Jordan Davis. Boy, he's going to be unstoppable. And I think for a lot of people who've watched a lot of football where he was pushing the center back said, I'm not saying he's not going to be unstoppable, but that's that's a drill. Like, the center is supposed to go back on that. We saw that you and I were talking before the show. I said, Ben, let me get your reaction to this. You know, because all the team <laughs> I'm saying because all the team accounts, yep. they're in the hype business. Yep. Right? They're, you know, anything happens good at Falcons camp is, oh, somebody's looking cold mm-hmm. at Falcons camp or whatever mm-hmm. it is they're putting out there. Yep. And so the Jacksonville Jaguars social media team put out a video of a of a practice workout, and it said, slow feet, don't eat. And it was of Trevor Lawrence, if you're familiar with football, doing the ladder drill. Mm-hmm. And then he drops out of the ladder and, and sets his feet and throws a pass. All right. I have not played nearly as much football as you, mm-hmm. but I've seen the ladder drill. Yes. And so I showed you the video from the Jaguars' official account that said, slow feet, don't eat. And I said, Ben, I'm not hating on Trevor Lawrence, but is this fast feet? And you said, I mean, mm, he might starving. be starving. He's starving. <laughs> he's starving like mom. He's starving. And, 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 and what I mean, why would no, you no, do no, that? Here it is. No, no, Kevin, think about this. When you look at something, you're looking at it from, from two ways. You're looking at it from a casual fan, just a casual onlooker, sure. and an analyst. So as an analyst, you're saying, because at least cause one of them may sway you a little bit. Well, the caption. But even the fan the, side, I'm like, I've seen way yes, faster. The caption, the caption is trying to shape your thinking <laughs> as what it should look like. All right, boom. Fast feet, I mean, slow feet don't eat. So in my mind, I'm thinking, so – you, you, your anticipation is this boyfriend to be moving, and then you press you press play, and you like maybe fast ain't equal across the board. <laughs> maybe what the person's looking at, because but Kevin, no, you started off the segment correctly. They're in the hype business. I said this. I said, watch how much hype happens between games that don't matter and games that do. Now it's Trevor, man. Travis Etienne is fast. Sweet, you know, slow. And these slow are one feet of them don't eat. In the pre- did you see? Did you see Trayvon? Did you see Trayvon Walker with the long arm and the sack? Woo! That is, listen, that ain't Trent Williams he going up against. That, he's going to, that is a left tackle, <clears throat> not the starting left tackle. That is a big, Jordan Davis is pushing that center back. Jordan what? Davis is going to push every center back in the league. <laughs> every, every last one of them, right? A man that big pushing a guy, you know, that's not as big as him back. Cool. But this is the thing. Who put out that thing about Jordan Davis? A Philadelphia Eagles either insider, media person, or a fan. Who put that stuff out about Trevor Lawrence? The hype train. The hype train is real, people. Because this is the thing. The hype train is trying to get you to become a fan of the hype. We want you to say. But as soon as Trevor Lawrence throw a pick and he's going to throw one, you're going to be like, well, what's all that sweet feet don't eat? That stuff don't mean anything. Why? Because there's nobody in front of him. He's going through a ladder. No, Kevin, no, this is what it was, Kevin. Not only have you seen the ladder drill, you've done it. And I mean, you can- poorly, I might add. But this is the thing, mean- <laughs> right? No, this is the thing. 
But I understand what you're saying. I, I, I just, I just when, when I see stuff like this, part of me is like, and maybe I'm jaded by this. But social media has people out there freaking out about stuff that, you know, it's like, I, and I get it. You're in the hype business. But, but, but again, I see some of this stuff is like, this is the equivalent of like, Austin Riley's going to hit 70 home runs because you see him hit a tape measure batting practice shot off a dude that's 60 throwing it about 50 miles an hour. Like, you know, like, that, that's the stuff that drives me crazy. And you go read the comments and people are going, oh, man, Trevor Lawrence is going to be so, or, or, you know, Jordan Davis is going to be unstoppable. It's gonna be unstoppable. It's like I I I don't they, they understand. They can't, they can't, I don't understand. They can't touch him. I don't understand why we fall for this stuff. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand why we fall for this stuff. Where it's like you are looking at things in in one isolated moments. Two in the preseason. Trevor Lawrence. If 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 slow feet don't eat. I mean, Trevor Lawrence did no eating. Zero in in the Hall of Fame game. Zero. Neither did Travis Etienne because they did not play. So that, I, I look at some of the stuff, it's like when you get excited about practice footage, like I, I don't understand how people get – like I want to see guys do it on the field in something that matters. And I'm not downplaying the fact that Trevor Lawrence can play, but when you see things like slow feet don't eat and then you watch a video where you go, well, that isn't exactly fast feet. Exactly. I mean, they're <laughs> probably moving faster than Kevin Thomas's feet would move through that ladder. But, I mean – that, that's not something that gets me hyped that, you know, Tr- Trevor Lawrence is going to be a top 10 quarterback all of a sudden. And so I, I see stuff like that, and I get people are trying to get people in, in a certain frame of mind. And as you said, a perfect example, as you, as you said, against, uh, you know, Tra- Trayvon Walker. He did get a sack against a left tackle. But probably not the nope. left tackle. <clears throat> nope. and, and you go back to what was it, the, uh, the, the Denny Green thing of, who, who the heck takes the third game of the preseason like it's the Super Bowl? You know what I mean? And this was the, this is obviously the first game. So I, I I think we read in too much to guys we want to be good off of stuff that, as, as you said, at the end of the day, uh, doesn't really matter. Teams trying things. Teams testing guys. Teams doing certain stuff, uh, situations so they can get it on film. I mean, so off of that, what if, I mean, what if Trayvon Walker doesn't have a sack the first month of the season? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I see stuff like that. Oh, oh, it's, it drives it's, it's, me. It drives me nuts. It's gonna get ugly. Drives me nuts. No, no, no. When we try to hype guys up off of preseason because, because and we practice did it, tape. Because we did it to ourselves, right? We we do things to ourselves. Now, when it comes to the teams you root for, are you gonna see something different? Of course, but but you but you got a bias too, right? Well, I'm, I'm, okay, fine. Case in point: the, the Falcons are playing on Friday. Oh, uh, well, I mean, they 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 are. If Desmond Ritter comes out and goes 8-for-8 eight eight for 120 yards, might I go, hmm, that was interesting, or might I look at it and say, okay, but he's probably doing it yeah. against a base defense. They're maybe not bringing a lot of blitzes, and they're letting him have underneath stuff just because that's the way they're playing defense. Yeah. Hey, look, if he comes out in his first ever NFL game in the preseason and does well, I'll say, hey, Maybe I undersold him a little bit about his effectiveness down the road, but I won't be putting out stuff going, whoo, Desmond Ritter, watch out, Mariota, your job's like, come on. Like, it's a preseason game. Calm down. That's all, that's all I'm saying. And you see some mm-hmm. of these things where it's like, you know, Jordan, Jordan Davis is a monster. Well, we know that. But he's also working against the center in a drill pregame. They have foam wrap on their helmets. Like, you can only draw so much from that, in, in my estimation, about trying to crown guys as the next unstoppable force 
on the defensive line and the greatest weapon football ever created on the other side of the ball. I, I, it just <laughs> to me, I, and again, I don't know of a way to to calm it down mm-hmm. because fans are just that they're gonna you know freak out and say this, that, and and what have you. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, yeah. wa- I'm watching. Uh, I think I think he was the first team All Pro last year. Uh, uh, Trevon Diggs, the brother of Stephon Diggs, right? Had a lot of picks last year. Gave up the most yards. You know what they're showing now? Yeah, him getting burned a lot every day by CD Lamb. Yeah, right. And and no Lamb beat the, <laughs> beat the brakes off of. Let the room breathe a little bit is all I'm saying <laughs> when you're trying to uh, project these guys. We'll come back. Uh, we will talk some college football with Tremaine Jackson, head football coach, Valdosta State, taking over that program. And the countdown is on to their season. What's he experienced in coming into Titletown? We'll look to talk to him next year. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. College football is coming back rapidly, and it will be here before you know it. Our next guest took over uh, the program at Valdosta State after a uh, trip to the national championship game for the Blazers. He was named the coach shortly thereafter, and he joins us here uh, to begin his first season there in Valdosta. Tremaine Jackson joins us here on three and out. Uh, Coach, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Hey, we are doing uh, fantastic. First off, uh, you, you came from uh, from Colorado Mesa to uh, to, to Valdosta State. Uh, speak to that transition uh, coming from the Midwest to a program uh, like Valdosta State that has uh, so much tradition in, uh, in a football hotbed part of the country. Yeah, you know, I started my career back in 2006 at a Division II school, Texas A&M Kingsville. When you walk in there on the wall at, at Kingsville, there's a game where they played against Valdosta State in the uh, semifinal one year, and you kind of you kind of realize um, how since 2000 we've been extremely good in Division Two, and so you know where Valdosta State always is. When I went to Colorado Mesa, it was the plan to try to build a program that way, the way that we do things here at Valdosta State. And so when I had the opportunity to come to Valdosta State, uh, it was a no-brainer for me to leave where I was and come to an elite place like this. Coach, discipline, obedience, grit, the dog mentality. Talk about how long that's been a part of your mantra as being a coach and how much of that, you know, coming in with everybody understanding this is what we're looking for, this is what this is what we play like, this is our mentality, because I believe that, you know, uh, the entire makeup of a team starts with the uh, mentality of the head coach. Absolutely. And so uh, the dog mentality came about during COVID when I think we all were trying to find our way and find things to do. Uh, I was out on a walk in the mountains, and, and uh, you know, we were dealing with recruiting, and everybody wanted to talk about, tell us that they were sending us a dog. And I, I remember hearing that throughout my career, and so I wanted to define what dog really was. And I, I just came up with, you know, me and our staff, we came up with just to, to be one of us. You have to be disciplined. You have to be obedient. You have to have a lot of grit. Um, and so that's what we wanted on our, that's what we want our football team to be. That's what we wanted in our program. And it, it really helps us judge who can and who cannot help the Blazers by using the dog theory. Tremaine Jackson joining us here on 3 and Out and uh, speak to taking over a program where there is that championship expectation. Obviously, as a coach, that had to be exciting, but speak to that uh, where you're taking over a program that was just in the national championship game uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot. There's 164 Division II schools. Um, there's, there's 28 playoff slots. And not many places you know, uh, uh, everybody in the country believes that, you know, your school is going to be in like people do about Austin State. 
people just automatically assume that because of who we are and what we've done that we should be there. There's high expectations for our program. And so after watching these guys play in the national championship, uh, to be their, named their head coach 10 days later was awesome. And, but what we did is when we got in here, we didn't treat them like they didn't know what they were doing as players. We got some really talented kids. We made some subtle changes. And the biggest thing that we did here was we brought the dog mentality, we changed the culture, and we're going to play defense to match our explosive offense. And so we, we've been able to really um, let our kids lead our football team because they're more than capable, and they've, they've bought in completely to everything that we've done. I couldn't be more excited to take the field with them. Coach, you hear, you hear the you hear the uh, you hear the mantra of it takes what it takes. When you talk about being a coach, talk about being an assistant coach, talk about being a player to meet those expectations. What does it take uh, to play for Valdosta State? Because as you mentioned, you mentioned Valdosta State. When you talk about D two, people are like, oh my God, who got to play them? Because you talk about that high profile offense. It seems like it's been going on for decades now. You mentioned your defense being able to help the high powered offense, but for those kids out there who want to have dreams of playing at Valdosta State, what does it take to be a Valdosta State Blazer? Yeah, well, you got to be a dog, and, and we define dog. Now, discipline, you got to do what you say you're going to do. That's how we define discipline. Being obedient simply is submitting and complying with the authority for the greater good of the team, which is us as coaches. We're the authority. And then having grit, that G in that dog, uh, you got to have passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals to play about Austin State. We brought our kids in August 4th. We plan on playing through Christmas. That's a long time to play football. And then once we finish that mission, we're going to come back January the 9th and do it all over again. So if you don't have grit and you don't have a passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals and graduating on top of that, then you're not going to, you're not going to last long in this program. And here's what we understand. Valdosta State football ain't for everybody. There's a lot of good football programs out there that are okay being okay. That's not us. We have a standard. That standard ain't changing. Everybody knows who we are, and we fully expect to rise to that occasion. So if you want to be one of us, you have to be a dog. Tremaine Jackson joining us here, head football coach of Valdosta State. Talk to the uh, acclimation process for you. Uh, you obviously do the history, the tradition, but coming in, uh, how quickly did you get kind of up to speed on high school football, uh, up and down southeast Georgia, and, and figuring out uh, what all uh, that kind of was? Uh, did you have any kind of prior knowledge to that before taking the job, seeing as you've been like in Texas and the Midwest uh, predominantly uh, portion of your career? Yeah, well, you know, me being from Houston and, and uh, being a part of Texas high school football, you kind of always know where the hot high school football states are. Uh, everybody talks about Florida, but here lately, uh, and, and probably in my career, Georgia has always put out uh, great, great high school pro- prospects. And uh, people normally think about Georgia football in Atlanta and, and up in North Georgia. Uh, South Georgia is where it's at. A lot of good football players on our current roster right now from South Georgia, and we recruit South Georgia uh, pretty good. So it, it, uh, we knew what we were getting into, uh, but I tell you what, when you, when you do have Florida touching your state, when you do have Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, when you're around that southeast area, um, you know, you can, you can find really good football. So we, we have a lot of access to Georgia high school football, but we also have a lot of other good states surrounding us, and we're not hard to get to. And so uh, it, it's really been good for us. Coach, I'm always intrigued when, you know, a guy like yourself who played the game. I'm not saying the coach that didn't play the game doesn't, doesn't bring a level of expertise, but when I've been one of those guys, how much better does that help you as a coach understand, listen, man, sometimes I'm just looking at a young me. I'm just, I, just get to be, I just get to be that father figure, authority figure, 
Talk about being a guy that played the game, now you coaching the game at this level. How much does it help you as a coach when you understand what these players are dealing with? Yeah, you know, one, one of the reasons why I became a coach is because of some of the ways I was coached that I didn't like. I had a lot of great coaches, but I had some that I didn't think coached me very well at all, and I wanted to put more great coaches in the profession uh, than, than I did the coaches that were just there for the job or whatever. It is what it is. Not everybody coaches for players. Uh, we do here. And I wanted to be surrounded by men that wanted to mentor other young men. And so uh, I understand that. I just told a D lineman today, man, you remind me so much of me. Here's what I'm going to do. They didn't do this for me. I'm going to do this for you because I know I, you're, we're looking at each other. You're my past and I'm your future. And so it, it really helps. Uh, it also helps just from a play standpoint. Uh, nothing against guys that hadn't played football. But when you tell a D lineman, especially, and I'll always use the D line because I am one, uh, to play through an ankle injury and you've never played through an ankle injury, then it, it, you just kind of lose what we call the street credibility of the game. And so we have it. It helps us in recruiting. Um, you know, it, it just helps overall. We've been able to use uh, our coaches' playing careers as a tool in recruiting and as a tool to show that we, we got some guys that play in the NFL. Uh, that that we know how to get you to where you want to get to. So it definitely helps. Uh, it helps us here, and it's helped me throughout my career. Tremaine Jackson joining us here, head football coach, Valdosta State coach. Finally, I know every coach says I'm not do- I'm not doing that. So, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How how excited are you for September one and the uh, and, and the first game coming up to uh, to take over that program and officially run out there? I know you got a lot of fall work uh, left to do, but uh, how excited are you for September one? Yeah, you know, I'm very excited. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare sit here and tell you that we're not excited for September 1. Uh, you know, we believe in showing our guys the vision so that they don't get discouraged by the process. And the vision is when we do run out the tunnel September 1st, that we're clicking on all cylinders against a very good Kaiser team that we have to play. Uh, it, we, we make no qualms about it. The, the old school coach talk and all this, that, and the third, we don't really do a lot of that. We're realists around here. Our kids are preparing every day to get to September the 1st. And we want to have a, a good showing. Uh, but I visualize myself running out the tunnel with this team, um, letting them lead us onto the field. And, and I'd be lying to you if I tried to tell you I'm just focused on the day-to-day. We do, however, understand that in order for us to be successful September 1st, we got to be successful here in 20 minutes when we have our next meeting and win every, every little thing that we do in the program. So make no doubt about it. We look forward to seeing a really packed stadium on a Thursday night before Labor Day. Nobody's got any excuses not to be at the game. Uh, and so we can put our product and people can see how our boy's been working. Tremaine Jackson joining us here on 3 Now. Coach, really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you guys uh, moving forward. Thanks so much. Thank you guys so much, and go Blazers. Appreciate it. Tremaine Jackson joining us here on 3 and Out, Ben, as he takes over a program with championship expectations. They just played in the national championship. He steps in. Obviously, people think, well, also go right back and uh, and try to win it uh, this go round. So interesting situation. I mean, not everybody steps into something like that where uh, you step in and you're ready to win. Or you're, I say you're ready to win. You're expected to win. Uh, a lot of times you get kind of like what you saw uh, eh, to a different degree in Statesboro, where you're expected to win, but you're coming off a, a season where you won three games, right? Where where, where Clay Helton saying, look, I I expect to win their championship tradition, but we won three games. We got a little work to do. He's coming in. This is a program that played for the championship last season. And he, as he said, 10 days after that, he's the head coach. So, obviously, there's a lot of expectations on what they're going to try to get done here in 2022.
It is, Kevin. And, and listen, and this is no knock to Kirby Smart. This is no knock to uh, Coach Helton. This is no knock to Coach the Coach Helton uh, in uh, in uh, Statesboro and Coach Kelton in uh, in Savannah. I don't know if there's a harder coaching job in the state of Florida when you talk about college football because, Kevin, look, I know that Kirby Smart got his rings, but if you are a head coach of Valdosta State, when they come together, when the old coaches come together, they count how many rings do you got? How many, you know, what, what was your offense ranked? Coach, Coach, Johnson, Coach Jackson understands this. I can't hide in Valdosta. Got documentaries down there, title town, and they live up to the billing. So, I'm, listen, I'm wishing them nothing but the best, but I like what he said about Kevin saying, look, I had a lot of coaches that helped me. Like I like I had a lot of coaches that didn't. So I want to make sure I am the I am the you know I am the opposite of the of the bad coaches and be a representation of the good ones. But at the same time, man, come September first, like he said. Oh, you don't, it wouldn't matter if it was September the third. <laughs> September first. Oh, it's gonna be a packed out house. What mm-hmm. else are you doing at Val Dawson when the Blazers yeah. playing? The answer is nothing. <laughs> I don't watch them on TV. I'm gonna watch them in person and go watch the recorded, you know, record, you know, when I go home. But uh, I wish Coach Jackson nothing but the best. But he knows what he said. 164 Division two schools, only 20 some make the playoffs. Well, I know what one, I know what the expectation of one of them is. It's almost man. I don't know what it is to not make the playoffs in Val Dawson because I didn't go to Val Dawson <laughs> State. But I already know they're like, hey, coach, uh, how good you think we're gonna be this season? It's like, I mean, I'm just saying, Kevin. It's like, uh, it's like Saturday night. It's like uh, yeah. what well, Friday I mean, night lights in real life coming out of Valdosta. Well, I mean, what a lot of people don't realize, and then going to school there, coming out of that environment, is it's not. It's it's kind of like what you see with Alabama and Georgia. It's like you hear twenty something people make the playoffs. Well, it's it's kind of like you see it's no difference. Like if you lose two games, you're in trouble. As far as your playoffs, so you really need to sit there and, and one loss, and you are already on shaky ground potentially for trying to make the playoffs. It is a tough road there uh, in in Division Two. We got more to come. Here it is, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. He has been Troop. I am Kevin Thomas. Glad you are with us. Of course, and a lot of folks happy here. The last few days is back to school happened, and Ben, I was telling you. Uh, during the uh, during the break, you know, with all the back to school stuff, you know, parents have to go meet the teachers and all that kind of stuff. Well, we did that with my with my two kids. We we're going back to school, and one of the teachers for my younger son handed out a little form about like get to know the student kind of thing, where you know there was forms like, hey, what's your contact information? If there's an emergency, who do you call? It? That kind of stuff. But then there was a page like, tell me about the student. What's your favorite food? What TV shows do you like? What do you like to you know do when you're not in school? What's your favorite What's your favorite class in school? That kind of stuff. What's your favorite sports team if you have one? And then the last question was, you know, what is something I do not like <laughs> that most people like? <sighs> and my son's filling it out because I told him to, and he wrote for his answer, school. And I want to be like, son, like. You know, you're turning this into the teacher, and you just said, I, I do not like school. And so he was like, well, you want me to change it? And I was like, you know what? No, be you. Turn it in, and we can all have a, have a laugh about it. But his answer for what I do not like, school. I'm like, going to be a long year. I will say this. Because I know which one of your sons you're talking about. I don't, you don't even got to. But, but Kevin, at the end of the day, right? He's already showing. No, I'm gonna be honest about this. I ain't for them. I don't got to make something up. That way, if I don't know during the year, you know my you know demeanor ain't 100. Ain't I told y'all this is a this is this is a, this is something I have to do. It's 
It's not something I want to do. It's ain't where I want to be. It's where I have to be. But, Kevin, let's just call it what it is. If you're a parent, <laughs> you love school time. Love it. Except you got to get up early. And you got to make sure they get to school. Unfortunately, they're not old enough to do it themselves. We'll come back. Hour two next. Three and out. Hour two here of Three and Out. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Plenty to get to here on the show. We'll hear from uh, Jordan Hill, Dogs 247. He'll join us coming up in just a little bit. We'll get the very latest from Bulldog Camp as they uh, count it down towards the opener there with Oregon, Ben. That's a game a lot of people should be looking forward to. Oregon, obviously, pretty good program. But obviously, then you get the coaching crossover uh, taking place. Certainly going to be one of the games of the opening week of college football. It is, Kevin, and, and, and rightfully so, right? Once again, you uh, you, uh, you get to be a big-time defensive coordinator uh, like Dan Landry. You get to go over to Oregon thinking, I'm trying to get as far away from dog country. And the first game of the year, I got, you know, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. But Dan Landing, is, it, should, it should be a really, really good game. He People think, quote, because you know the team you're leaving, Kevin, you, you got to – uh, you should you should have like a bead a bead on him. They asked Kirby Smart about Dan Lanning. He says, "Quote: I'm not worried about Dan Lanning. Not saying that he don't respect him, but hey, man, uh, Dan never know what we got over here. Not saying that Oregon ain't a great program, but should be a big time opener with the Dogs versus the Ducks. <laughs> Let's take three here on three and out. We'll talk about Georgia coming up here in just a little bit. But Ben, we had Hall of Fame weekend in the uh, the National Football League. Of course, you had the Hall of Fame game and. Tony Baselli gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's the first Jacksonville Jaguar uh, to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, despite the fact, Ben, that he only played six seasons in the National Football League. Do you think there should be a a, a length of service requirement to get into the Hall of Fame? Is six seasons enough in your estimation? Yes, it is, and I'm gonna tell you why. Sometimes, Kevin, you know, we get we get caught up in we get caught up in certain things for no for no apparent reason because it ain't the norm. Tony Baselli was about as good as a player can be for the time that he got a chance to play. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Terrell Davis uh, that played for the Broncos only played like seven seasons. Yeah, he was an NFL MVP. Yes, he was a two time. So when I think he was a two thousand yard rusher, he got in. Gail Sayers, if I'm not mistaken, played seven to eight years for the uh, you know for the Chicago Bears. He's in the Hall of Fame. But you know what Tony Baselli just opened up the door for? Guys who did have short careers, right? Um, I want to say uh, Sterling Sharp, the brother of Shannon Sharp, only played seven, seven years. Yeah. I think he got a shot to get in. It's about what you did for the time you had to do it in. I'm sorry. When did the barometer come? Because guys aren't Tom Brady's of the world, right? LeBron's of the world. Got people thinking, hey, man, those are dinosaurs. Guys don't want to play two decades. They want to play eight, nine years. Like, you know, Patrick Willis, I think, didn't play, year. Uh, didn't play 10 years. Uh uh, Luke Keekley, I think, didn't play 10 years. What did they do when they play? All pros, all pros, all pros. Tony Maselli, I think, was the first pick of the expansion Houston Texans. Right. So think about this. Out of all the players they can get, I want a guy that I saw what he did when he was in the, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Great ja- Listen, uh, congratulations to all the uh, the inductees. Tony Maselli was an incredible player. I'm sorry, but I think sometimes, Kevin, we get too caught up in the length of time and not the impact. With the time you had, Tony Bacello about as good as it can be. Once again, I know we were talking about Trevon Walker. He's going to be going up against guys like Tony Bacello. That's the left tackle he's going to be going up against. So when you ask why is a sack, to, why are guys that get double-digit sacks in the National Football League, hundred, you know, $20 million a year, guys, because you got to go up against the best, arguably the best athlete on the offensive line is the left tackle, bar none. 
Might be the most athletic player on on the offense, all things considered, with size, speed, agility, you know, mobility, and you know, in our responsibility. But yes, Tony Baselli, congratulations. The first Jaguar to ever be inducted to the uh, Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hopefully that paves the way for a guy he blocked for. Fred Taylor. I do think Fred Taylor is a Hall of Famer. And obviously he was at, he was in uh, Canton to watch his uh, teammate get enshrined. But yes, it's not about the years. It's what you did. It's how impactful were you. And you can't be more impactful than a guy like Tony Baselli for what he did when he was with the Jags. No, I, and again, I, I, I think it depends on the impact that you had, Ben. I, when, when I look at the, well, he only played six years in the league. Were you dumb? Because to me, guys like Kobe, LeBron, Michael Jordan, when you look at basketball, that's easy. You look at Tom Brady, as you said, that's easy. Peyton Manning, that's easy. They did it and did a high level for a long, long time. Tony Baselli, as you said, opens the door for some guys who said, look, these are the guys of, you have, now you have to play the projection game a little bit and say, mm-hmm. if this dude hadn't been injured, we wouldn't be talking about this. Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, if he doesn't get injured, like, Everybody's looking at you and me and saying, this is not even a question. He's a Hall of Famer. So to me, it would be, how much dominance did you have in a short amount of time? I, and again, I think of guys like Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, look at, look at the highlight tapes. Bo Jackson did not play very long in the National Football League. He's running people over and, and doing things that make people go, this guy is unbelievable. Is that enough to get you in? So that's why I say uh, you have to do a little bit of a projection game. But Tony Vaselli, I understand the point. I think there's probably a little pressure to say, hey, the Jags have been around for a long enough time now. Like, they don't have anybody in the, in, in the Hall yeah. of Fame. And so maybe that helped his case a little bit. But I, I, I think you got to play a little bit of amount of time and exude exceptional dominance. Uh, and when I say that, it's like better than the average. Like, hey, this guy was good and then he was among the best. Like, no, exceptional dominance. Uh, at your position, I think Tony Vaselli can qualify I, for that. But I mean, I, if you're going to play the short career card, yeah, I think you have to have just exceptional dominance. That is not even a question of hey, if you didn't get hurt. I think of Tony Vaselli's case. If his shoulder didn't give out, that's the guy that probably goes to the Houston Texans and has another four or five year run with the Houston Texans. Now you're talking about a 10, 11, 12 year career as a dominating left tackle. It's probably not even a thought. He was the number two pick in the number in the ninety-five NFL draft, number two overall pick. In right. the expansion draft in twenty in two thousand two, he was the number one overall pick. And he's been in the league already seven years. Three time first team all America, three time first team all pro. I always judge great press on the all pro. All pros mean I was the best in the world that year at my position. He did it three times. He was in the NFL seven years. Wait a minute. Five time Pro Bowler. In seven years, I went to the Pro Bowl five times. And I was the first team all pro. So it, when, it, when it comes to my position, I was my play warranted me the best in the, at what I did for three three out of seven years. Most guys are not going to make a Pro Bowl. That's not going to make multiple first team all pros. So in seven years, what did he do? He went to the Pro Bowl five times. He was a three time first team all pro. Uh, he was a number he was number two overall pick in the ninety five draft in the 20, 2002 expansion draft. He was number one overall pick. All right. And I always say this: What does this? What does this? Uh, Opponents say about him. What did the guys that went up against Tony? Oh man, that guy right there. They asking defensive end. So you ask the guys you played with, and ask guys you went up against. Not the ones you played against. Ask defensive ends. Oh Tony Baselli. Oh man, for that time frame, yeah, he was about as good as it gets. And I think that's what it is, Kevin. It's like, hey, like you said, if his shows doesn't go out, that's that's more Pro Bowls. What would make me think he's not going to have more Pro Bowls and all Pro type season? But I think that that's what the Pro Football Hall of Fame is about. It's about saying, dude. Is he one of the greatest of all time? The answer is yes. 
He don't got to be Munoz. He don't got to be Orlando Pace. He don't got to be Jonathan Ogden to be one of the greatest of all time. But guess what? He's enshrined. That's forever. In the word, in the words of Deion Sanders, I got a jack, I got a gold jacket that I did not have to buy. It was, it was, it was made for me. And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame for those of you who don't who, who want to know that as well. All right, moving on. Take two, Ben. What do you expect to see Friday from Atlanta? They take on the Lions. Aiden Hutchinson, if he plays, uh-huh. take on the Lions Friday in their first preseason game. What do you realistically expect to see? I expect to see the starters play. That's not something we saw uh, this time last year. I expect to see Kyle Pitts get out there. I expect to see, you know, a Marcus Mariota get out there. I want to see, look, I want to see Drake London. I want to see Kyle Pitts, right? I want I want to see Brian Edwards. I want to see Alden Tate. I want to see Cordell Patterson. I want to see this offense go out there, run the football, and try to see just how – how. now, am I going to know how it's going to look as, as offense-wise? No. I know how it's going to look visually. Oh, them dudes big, man. All right. Going with a big lineup. Got that, right? On defense. Defensive coordinator for the Falcons came out and was like, look. Yeah, Dean I'm, Pease, yeah. Yeah, I'm tired of y'all talking about this team. I'm tired of y'all. So, so okay, Coach, yeah, prove it. You put the bullseye on – if you want to call it on his defense, on his defenses, uh, back. I want to see. I want to see guys not named AJ Terrell, not named Grady Jarrett making plays. Lorenzo Carter, what's up? Ebikite, well, let, let's let's do it. And you know, and I and I think I think you know, uh, Richie Grant, what's up? Because Kevin, unfortunately, I don't want to get too much out of a preseason game, but I want to get something, right? Like I'm not. Look, this ain't the entree. This is definitely a side dish. I get it. But I won't decide this to look good because, Kevin, you know this. If the preseason is not a true indicator of the regular season and you look awful in the preseason, well, that doesn't give me a lot of, you know, because the guys the guys who you're going to need, they, they need to play. So I expect to see some of the starters. I want to see how they look visually. I want look, – look, look, the Orlando, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> if they don't throw Drake London a go-round because it ain't about completing it. Throw them one. Because he only going to get, what, a couple of series? He ain't going to get a lot of snaps. Right. So throw him one. And the main thing I want to see, no injuries. Because you the reason why you go through the preseason, you, you licking your wounds and you counting the healthy bodies, that's how you kind of decide. Because you're seeing a lot of ACLs kind of coming up already now. Non-contact injuries. Because, let's face it, men that big don't supposed to move that fast. They don't supposed to do it. I'm sorry. They don't, yes, I was one of those guys. But you talk to a doctor, they say, look, a guy that big, stopping on the dime, stopping on the dime, doing it over and over and over and over again, that's not regular. And, and a knee can only take so much. So healthy bodies, I want to see how this offense look. I want to see the defense kind of make some strides. And, hey, man, Do you care you know, about Mariota v, vis-a-vis the other quarterbacks? Do you care about Oh, I definitely want to see Desmond. Oh, yeah, I want to see young Russ. I'm saying, but <laughs> do you, I, I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> do you care what I mean? Do you care? Like that's not going to change your mind of hey, maybe you give him more play. Like do you just no, no, see no, no, no. I just want to see him because this time last year, Kevin, right? This the, the difference in Matty Ice, and this is what full disclosure. This is why I think the starters didn't play last year in the preseason because you got Matt Ryan. You know he's going to be ready, and he's going to make sure Kyle Pitts is ready. Going to make sure the offensive line ready, right? Marcus Mariota. I, I, don't, I still ain't don't know if that was wise. Yeah, I mean, I'm it, not saying it was wise. That's why they did it. Marcus Mariota ain't thrown a, a, a pass that was meaningful in like two or three years. He needs to get the rust off. He's used to coming in as a backup to make sure, hey, man, let me be a true backup because this is what I'm going to do all year. Hey, Marcus, yeah, go because you know this, oh, Kevin, because this is what's going to happen. Here it comes. Marcus Mariota goes, you know, two for six, 
for 40 yards, and Desmond Ritter goes, you know, 10 for 16 for 200. Well, one had more opportunity than the other. And Desmond Ritter, he needs to go out there and prove he is the solid number two because I'm – and I'm serious about this. I want to see Felipe Franks because he's going to have to play some tight end. He's going to play a lot of it, you know, and maybe this is the bias in me. <laughs> I've been seeing some of the stuff he's been – uh, he's been doing it in uh, preseason. I want to see if he's got a legitimate shot. His brother is actually a tight end in the National Football League. He's trying to become one. I'm always rooting for these guys because, like I say, Kevin, if you want to play in the National Football League, you need to be a football player first, a position player second. Ask Felipe. And, full disclosure, they say Felipe might have to play some tight end and quarterback. Now, I don't know about the quarterback part, <laughs> but we'll see We'll see how he looks out there, uh, you know, playing tight end. Yeah, a lot, you know, to, get, a lot to cover there. All right, finally, Ben, uh, today is International Cat Day. Is this the worst holiday ever? It is. I, I agree. And, and, and look, look to, you cat, to you cat lovers, cat people, may God bless you. I'm going to tell you why I'm not a cat person. Dogs make noise. I know what a dog is. A cat can jump up on a piece, on a piece of furniture, don't make a sound. Right? Cats like to scratch stuff. Cats are needy. Cats want you to, you know, I mean, are you all right? I ain't got time for that. And cats, they fluctuate in size too much. You got real itty bitty. You got these big old gigantic, super duper fat cats. I'm not dealing with them. I ain't no cat person. Look, look, if you're a cat person, may God bless you. I ain't never been no cat person, though. Like, never. Like, I'm not. Listen, I'm sorry. I give a dog water, and that's it. He like he wants some milk. He ain't getting my milk. So I'm just telling him right now. I'm not giving you no milk. I'm not giving. I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to read your body language to the cat people. You can have them. They will not enter the troop household. Not doing it. Yeah. The uh, my my take on cats are are or have stayed the same. Cats are not to be trusted. That's the end. Cats mm-hmm. are not to be trusted. I, dogs are up to you. You know what they're about to do. It's yep. Cats will look at you. Look at you, and then. Just bite you for no reason. Or, or try to scratch at you. Yeah. Or then all of a sudden, hey, I'm over here. And then they just jump on the couch or the chair for no reason. Like, we, we don't need that happen. Cats, not to be trusted. I did have a fun time explaining to my younger son that cats don't need to go outside because they go to the bathroom in a box full of dirt. And he was kind of fascinated by that. He said, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's a litter box. He goes, and they just go to the bathroom in there? I was like, yeah, I mean. I don't listen. Listen. I, don't, I was I'm, like, I was like, yep. He goes. So then what? I was like, well, then somebody's got to go in there and clean it, and put new in there, and then they go and use it again. He's like, not. Doing he was it. like, in the house. I'm like, in the house. In the house. They have a little box or whatever. I, 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 Dog, I, I, you let outside. They they know what to do. And, and, but but yeah, cats not to be trusted. International Cat Day not celebrated in the Thomas household. I'm with you, Ben. Don't want cats in my house. Do not want one in the house. We got. A lot to get to here. That's take three. We do it every day at the Cyber Talk of Georgia football. When we come back, defending national champs, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, Jordan Hill, Dogs 247 joins us when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Fall camps opening all over the place as we count it down towards that first full Saturday of college football. And uh, ben, the Georgia Bulldogs, the defending uh, national champions, uh, going to have a lot on them as people look to try to, to bump them off, and they've got the talent. Maybe make another run at uh, this thing. Joining us here from Dogs 247, Jordan Hill joins us here on 3 and Out. Jordan, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, guys. Yeah, doing great. Uh, just uh, kind of funny now. We look at the calendar, and we're less than a month away from the start of the season, so very exciting time for 
Absolutely, and, and Georgia's number three in the coaches' poll that was just put out there today. And, and Kirby Smart said something back at uh, you know SEC Media Days that I found interesting, uh, Jordan, because it'd been obviously forty years without winning a national championship, and uh, you know, in some levels, you would expect, hey, the great exhale of, hey, we finally did it. And Kirby Smart said, "Look, this team hasn't done anything. Uh, how, how, I, I guess, do you take that? Is it one thing to say versus, I mean?" Everybody that's played for Georgia since 1980 is when you're going to win a national championship. When are you going to win? And then you turn into 1980, 1980, 1980. And now that you did it, how do you try to avoid that big exhale? I know Kirby's like, hey, we haven't done anything. But, I mean, a lot of these guys literally just did. Well, I think the thing that helps Kirby's point, and I really do think it's a pretty good point made by him, is the fact that a lot of those major contributors from that team are in the NFL now. I mean, they had 15 guys drafted. Uh, five uh, off that defense in the first round alone. Uh, that's something he really stressed and has told us, you know, in the media availabilities we've had, uh, even going back to the spring. You know, he said that he's uh, had teams in the past, whether it was when he was at Alabama as an assistant or during his time so far at Georgia, where he did kind of worry about complacency when he worried about guys coming back, coming off really good seasons, either individually or with the team's overall success. And uh, he said that this team doesn't really have that because a lot of those major contributors are gone. You know, guys like Nicobe Dean, guys like Jordan Davis, guys even like Jermaine Burton who transferred uh, to Alabama. Some guys on offense, uh, George Pickens, you know, guys like that are not on this team anymore. So he knows that the situation is a little different as far as worrying about complacency or you know, his line has been uh, asked, you know, being asked about resting on. Uh, you know, players resting on their laurels, and he said these players, for the most part, don't have laurels to rest on. Uh, so that's sort of the situation that I think kind of helped his point in the fact that obviously you do have some big contributors like Stetson Bennett, like Brock Bowers, uh, guys on that defense, Keely Ringo, Nolan Smith, who are big parts of that championship team. Uh, but at the same time, they're surrounded by guys that are going to be stepping up into new roles uh, they're going to be asked to do a whole lot more than they did uh, during the 2021 season. And Jordan, when you have a guy like, you know, having a guy like Kirby Smart, as you mentioned, I mean, he's seen it all and done it all under a guy under the tutelage of a guy uh, like Nick Saban. But he, but we've never seen him, you know, do an encore. You know, the hardest thing to do in college football is to win the national championship. But even, but even harder than that is to, you know, win back to back. I know they're not going to talk about winning back to back yet, but. We, everybody's going to be watching Georgia to see how do they rebound because replacing most teams just want to put three or four guys in the draft. You, I mean, you, 15 guys got drafted, some of the big, which with one of them being the number one overall pick in Trevon Walker. What has been what has been like the message to the team this year? I know it's I know they want to be you know I want, I know I know they're going to be hungry. I know they're going to be the hunted. But what has been the message you've seen thus far? In, you know, in camp. I think the thing that you hit on right there is a big part of it. You know, I'm trying to remember one of the players, I believe, at Media Days said that we want to be the hunter. We don't want to be the hunted. And I think that's sort of the attitude they want to take. They want, they want to be, uh, you know, a team that's aggressive. They want to be a team that obviously is coming off of, you know, for this era of college football, unprecedented success for Georgia football. Obviously, it had been since 1980 since they had won a national title. But I think that's sort of the situation that it comes from uh, a standpoint of where they know guys sort of to the point we were just talking about, they're going to need more guys to step up. They're going to need, you know, uh, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh to take more carries at running back because guys like Zamir White and James Cook are in the NFL now. They need 
uh, guys at inside linebacker like Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden and Tresman Marshall as well to play more reps because Nicobe Dean and, and Channing Tindall and Quay Walker are in the NFL now. So I think that's sort of uh, the attitude I would kind of uh, characterize with this team. Uh, they want to be aggressive. They want to show that you know even as hard as it will be for this team to to match the highs, whether it was just the defense's success or the fact they won 14 games and won obviously two games in the playoff, um, that they're still striving for it and they want to try to accomplish similar similar things. Will they be able to do it? We'll see. But I think that they are aiming high, nevertheless, uh, hoping for a lot of success in 2022. Jordan Hill joining us here on Three and Out. You mentioned the running backs there, and you lose two guys uh, from that that core. And I know at times last year, you know, people were saying, "Boy, Georgia goes five deep uh, at running back," and maybe they still can here in, in 2022. But are they looking for a similar type rotation uh, out of the backs they've had before under Kirby when they've had multiple guys of just feed the hot hand, or do they want to settle more on guys and roles and uh, in, in how they get used? I think it's going to be a situation that honestly is worth monitoring through fall camp. I mean, I think going into fall camp, there's kind of three tiers as far as the running backs, and the top tier is Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. Uh, two guys I kind of talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, McIntosh had the biggest of the workloads between the two last year, but part of that was just a, a matter of Kendall getting hurt. I think he wound up missing four games uh, near the end of the season, came back for that national championship game. But those two are kind of seen as the lead backs, the veterans who are expected to play bigger roles uh, and stepping into those holes lo- uh, left uh, by Zamir White and James Cook. And then after that, it's really Dejon Edwards is probably that second tier. And he's probably the guy I'm most interested in because, again, I say he's a tier behind these guys. He was a four-star. You know, he's a guy that had a lot of talent coming out of Colquitt County and, uh, you know, may get a chance to prove that he can take carries with the rest of these guys. And then sort of that last tier is the two freshmen. And uh, really the only thing against those guys is they are still new to this process. I mean, they moved in at the end of May. Uh, learning what's expected. You guys have a lot of talent, four-star Branson Robinson and three-star Andrew Paul. Uh, this is going to be very important for them. How they handle uh, these next few weeks, 25 fall camp practices, how they just show, um, you know, it's an opportunity for them to show that they can be relied on. And, and what those roles look like, I think it remains to be seen. But if they live up to the expectations, you know, I don't think Georgia is in a position where it will hesitate to use uh, multiple backs, to, to let a lot of guys get involved, especially if they have a season like they did last year where you know those there are multiple games for the third and fourth quarter, kind of wearing the, the other team down, trying to just get through another win. Uh, that could be big opportunities for Edwards and Robinson and Paul alike. Speaking of living up to expectations and dealing with the hype or everything that comes with it, I know you talk about the 15 guys that's moved on to the National Football League, but, you know, Stetson Bennett, I mean, he's literally done it all. Wasn't on campus, get called back on campus. They wanted everybody but him. I mean, they want, you know, the JT Daniels stuff, and now you're looking at all the guys that's in the – all the five stars that's in that quarterback room now. You could say, Jordan, this is not hyperbole at all. Nobody has meant more to this Georgia program in the last three years than the Stetson Bennett, when the, just from an availability standpoint, a durability standpoint, obviously, wasn't too big. You know, the lights weren't too bright for him to go out there and make the throws, and he did in the second half to bring home uh, that national championship. 
Yeah, you know, Stetson is someone I'm very interested in seeing, just how he kind of goes about this season. Because, you know, there was a lot of thought, and I think uh, legitimate, you know, speculation after that championship game that Stetson was going to walk away. Because obviously that was as good of an ending as you could possibly imagine had that been the end of his Georgia career, had he decided to go play somewhere else, had he decided to, you know, maybe try to play professionally, which obviously I don't know what that would have actually looked like. Um, but he decided to come back. He wanted to use his uh, additional year uh, of the COVID year to, to play at Georgia one more year. So you kind of run the risk of how do things go in this additional year, obviously coming off of the biggest moment in Georgia history since 1980. Um, you know, from what we've gotten to talk to Stetson, even going back to the spring, I, I feel like he's really taking this year uh, in a positive manner. I think that he's learning and and trying to get even better. I mean, he he talked during the spring about wanting to take advantage of something we all kind of overlook. You know, during that spring, that was the first time he's really ever gotten first-team reps during a spring because of just what the the depth chart has looked like ahead of him uh, in years past. So, you know, I think that there truly is room for him to improve, obviously building a rapport with some of those receivers, kind of understanding better what they're looking for on plays, you know, looking at his relationship with offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, getting on the same page about plays sets and likes, you know, calls he likes on certain spots on the field. I think that it's a big opportunity for him. And, you know, I think it's a tall task to say that he's going to be able to top what he did last year because, again, I mean, that was really nothing short of incredible just the way that season played out. Uh, But at the same time, I think he's got an opportunity to have a really good year, and it's going to be interesting to follow and just see how things go week to week. Jordan Hill joining us here on Green Up. And, uh, Jordan, you go over to the defensive side of the, the football, Dan Lanning. You're going to see him, obviously, in, in week number one. What do you expect from the defense? A lot of new parts. Again, little new voice, different way of doing things uh, defensively. What do you expect early from that side of the ball? You know, I think that uh, it's pretty much going to be unavoidable that, especially early in the year, we'll see some growing pains just because, again, this is a defense that lost eight starters from last year. So you just know that there's going to be mishaps here and there. And that's something Kirby Smart's talked about. You know, he said that there's going to be moments where guys that are young that are out there playing their first real legitimate reps in a game. Uh, they make the mistakes you expect to see from guys out there getting their first real legitimate reps. But to me, the key to this defense, which I think can still be very good, I don't think there's really any way they can top their success in 2021, but I do think they have a very good chance of being one of the SEC's best defenses. It's going to be defensive line, and it's going to be inside linebacker. You know, I mentioned the inside linebackers a little bit earlier. To me, they've got some guys that look really good. Jamon Dumas-Johnson, other than really tied in Eric Gilbert in the spring, Jamon was probably the story of the spring. Just all the praise we heard about him, how he was able to play. I think he's got a lot of promise. And then they got other guys that are in that are going to try to factor in the inside linebacker conversation. Smile Munden, Tresman Marshall, uh, Jalen Walker. It's guys that have, we've seen flash. Uh, even at this point in fall camp, which is still really early, um, but they got to be more consistent. And then looking at the defensive line, uh, they've got a guy they know they can trust in Jalen Carter, a guy who you know we could be talking next April might be a top five pick, may even have an argument to be the number one pick. 
uh, there at defensive tackle, but they need guys around him to make plays. They need a guy like Stein Logue, who has played here and there, but is expected to play a bigger role, uh, to kind of shoulder that load. They're still trying to figure out what they want to do at defensive end. Right now it seems like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who's only a redshirt freshman, may take on that role, but they've got pieces around star players or could-be star players like a Jalen Carter and a Jamon Dumas Johnson. Uh, but those guys can't do it on their own, just like guys like Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis couldn't do it on their own. So to me, it's just a matter of those guys around the you know budding stars uh, to step up and get ready to play uh, very significant snaps and very significant minutes in order for this defense to stand out among the rest. Another guy that decided to come back on that Vonta defense, you know, a guy from my neck of the woods, Nolan Smith. You talk about a guy like Jalen Carter who has, you know, top five ability. Nolan Smith definitely has first-round ability. What does it mean to have a guy that was a big part of uh, last year's defense, understand what it takes uh, to get it done, play in and play out? How does a guy like him match up coming back for a senior year to try to, you know, really bolster a defense that has a lot of young talent, as you mentioned? I think it's a big opportunity for Nolan, and it seems like from everything we've heard and and even what we've gotten to see, I think he's really taken it to heart. I think that this is a guy that's made a lot of plays in the past, but, you know, you look at his numbers as a former five-star, and, you know, his stats don't exactly jump off the page, but sometimes that's the part of playing on defenses that are just straight-up loaded with talent, you know, from the first position to the 11th on the defense, but... To me, what really strikes me about Nolan and what makes him such a big turning player on this defense is the fact that he's pretty much answered every call as far as being a leader. I mean, we keep hearing about his efforts to make it known that you know he's going to go after guys if he doesn't like the effort he sees. And that's going to be the kind of attitude and the kind of approach to this preseason that's going to put Georgia in a position where, you know, there are a lot of projections out there that people still think this could be a playoff team. Well, as good as the talent will be, if the only leadership is coming from the sideline and the coaches on the headset, it's not going to matter very much. They need star players like Nolan Smith to step up to the challenge and and be willing to, to hold people accountable. And based on everything we've heard so far, he's done just that. I think if you're a Georgia fan, that should make you really excited not only to know that there's that kind of leadership, but I think Nolan Smith's ready to have a big senior year. I think he is trying to maximize the time he's got left in Athens, and uh, I think it sets up really well for him once we get to that season opener against Oregon on September 3rd. Jordan Hill, Dogs 247, our guest here on 3 and Out. Jordan, really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Jordan Hill, Dogs 247. Joining us here, Georgia, Oregon, right out of the gate. And a lot to unpack there with Georgia. A lot of new guys on defense. Stetson coming back, and he kind of talked about that role of a lot of people thought, hey, you're going to go out on the high note. And who's to say there's not another high note to be played uh, here in 2022 But and how that kind of plays things forward there with Georgia. We'll come back. We'll react to some of what Jordan had to say when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out. Georgia, as we mentioned uh, their last segment with uh, with Jordan Hill, third in the coaches poll that was put out there earlier today, Ben. So a lot of folks uh, giving Georgia a great chance there for the repeat. Let's go to the phones quickly. Ben, our good buddy, the fast-talking AC, joins us here on uh, 3 and Out. AC, what's up? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. What you got on your mind today? Absolutely. Uh, college football. 
AP poll and uh, what is it? Uh, coaches poll to me, it's unnecessary. I, I just don't see the point of having AP poll and and, and the uh, uh, what's that thing? Uh, coaches poll. As we, until November, so we can wait for a college football playoff ranking, and that's the most hype. What's the point of hyping something in September or in August when the dinner could be served in December and January? Because I look forward to dinner always. Thank you so much for taking my call. Hey, AC, you know why they do it. It's the hype train. You just said it. So we can have number three Georgia against number, uh, I think Oregon is probably up there. I'll have to go back and relook uh, in the top 15. So they can say, hey, we got a top 15 matchup. That's why. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think we need polls until we've, you know, actually done something. And then our, because here's the thing, say what they want. Ben, you know this, the, the polls later in the season are largely done because of what they've read in the other polls throughout the first two months of the season. Yep. Right. So if we just have a clean slate and say, Hey, we didn't know Auburn was 12 to start the season. We just are watching what we're watching. Let's make a decision that I'm with you. But the only reason these polls are still out there is for hype train. The end. So schools can say we're preseason number three. And so the networks and streaming services and all that that are showing these games can say we've got number 25 against number 16 or whoever it is. Or we've got a matchup with a top 25 team in it. Because who knows? Four weeks from now, that team might be 0-4 and and the farthest thing from from top 25 we've seen. But 100% on the hype train, Ben. I don't like preseason polls, but we all fall victim to them because, well, it's all we go by leading up to the games getting started, and it's just an educated guess. To me, the coaches' polls uh, is about the most worthless that's out there. As you said, Texas got a vote uh, from somebody. Was that in the coaches' poll, Ben, uh, that Texas got yeah, a vote? Yeah, they got, they got a vote for first place. So, I mean, Steve Spurrier, I know your favorite, uh, Ben, Steve Spurrier, you say, look, I don't know. I just fill the thing out or I get somebody else to fill it out. Like, if I'm a coach, do I care who's number 24? I want my team to be top 25, obviously. But do I care who's number 15? No. I got a game to get ready for in three weeks. I'm not paying attention to, wow, what's the news coming out of Texas Tech's camp? I don't play Texas Tech. I'm not in Texas Tech conference. I don't care. You you, you know, like, so I, I think the coaches poll, to me, is the most worthless of the polls that we have that are out there. It is, Kevin, because that's what get everybody in the frenzy for real. Like when you talk about what get it's not it's, it's it's not the analytics, it's not the media days, it's not the coaches, it's not the players, it's not the fans. Somebody goes, uh-huh. They believe in us. Why? We rank number 24. No, they don't. They got the no. The coaches poll is we got to fill out 25 slots. We got to fill them. Right? Well, Alabama's good. <laughs> yeah, Alabama's number one, you know, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson four. Surprise. Like, you can, people say, it'll that, yep, in 2021, in 2020, in 2019, in 2018, which means that the good teams aren't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, if you didn't make the top 25, who cares? Hey, man, they don't respect us. Don't start with that. <laughs> they don't respect us, man. Respect what? The, uh, the, the, the SID didn't vote for you. How LSU didn't get a – LSU ain't in there. Auburn ain't in there. Florida ain't in there. Who cares? <laughs> it's like – and, and, the, and Kevin, no, true. it's true, but that's the only reason we have these polls coming Kevin, up. It is the thing, right? We're the crazy people, like, like the people that's in the media, right? Because it's the thing. We know how certain stuff is going to look. Like, people go, hey, man, how did you know How did you know to pick Alabama number one? I can pick Alabama for the next 10 years to be preseason number one, <laughs> regardless Nick, of what they is do. Is Nick Saban still the coach? Yeah. Number one. 
I mean, Nick Saban is the only coach that I can remember that every single recruiting class has won a ring. Every single recruiting class. So when we get to talking about where did you rank at, this is the thing. If you are 25, can you beat number one? Can you beat number two? Can you beat number three? Can you beat number four? And if the answer is no, 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 and no, you don't got to worry about being <laughs> these teams. So I do think, Kevin, though, this is when the hype starts. Once again, once again, we're all in the hype business. Now, as you mentioned, Kevin, hey, you know, you Team X, you want to partner with, you know, uh, you know, some type of some type of uh, you know, uh product company. Hey man, we preseason number 20. I'm trying to tell you, you better get it while you can get it. Cause we're gonna drop out that 20 top 25 so fast. And but you know what happens? You know what's gonna break that up? What? Week one. Uh-oh. So these games that matter in week one, plumbing it, you're going down. Right? You're not. And I and I think that when you start looking at these lists and these top ten list coaches, it's listen. We got to fill. We got to fill out a slide. We got to fill out a card. Now, the people that's giving Texas a number one vote, that's the problem. It's stuff like what are you doing? You don't take you don't take polling seriously. That's that shows that, right? In what world is Texas gonna beat Oklahoma? I wait. Texas lost to Kansas. Stop it. So. But this is where we at, Kevin. Now, the thing is now, listen, Coach going to come in with the top 25 poll saying, look at the fellas. Do you see us on there? <laughs> they don't know the work we put and they in. Don't care they either, don't know really. what we doing. No, it doesn't matter. If we did it right, <laughs> it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a poll up until, I don't know, we played some games. But God forbid we do that. Because yeah. some of the preseason top 25 already got two losses. That's going to mess up, I don't know, the hype. Yeah. The nonsense. It'll, it'll mess things up for later down the road. We got more to come. It is three and out Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out. Kevin and Ben. A lot to get to coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll talk Georgia football, obviously, with a whole revamped defense in terms of players. Uh, ben, you said eight starters. I've uh, gone to the National Football League. We'll get to that. And we'll have college football coming up in just a handful of weeks. Uh, as a matter of fact, that first week zero might leave a little bit to be desired, but uh, in less than a month, September, what is it, that first Saturday, September the 3rd, a full slate of big-time college football games, been including Georgia, Oregon, and others that are going to, you know, what a way to welcome in college football 2022. Yeah, week one has become, you know, I know you got week zero. We've already gone through that daunting schedule from top to bottom. Yes. Teams like, you know, Hawaii versus mm-hmm. them. You know, Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt, I, I, Vanderbilt's I, going to Hawaii. Exactly. Vanderbilt's going to Hawaii. They'll get a, they'll get a full week off to you know <laughs> they, might, they might just stay out there for another couple of days to enjoy themselves. But no, Kevin, the thing about the college, the thing about college football, I know we, I know last thing we were talking about the coaches poll and all these different things is, listen, if you cannot beat the best teams in the country, you are you are battling to get the six wins. That's why bowl games are so prevalent. People go, why so many bowl games? Because you can't beat Georgia, can't beat Clemson, can't beat Alabama, can't beat Ohio State. The end. Like, you don't got to like, oh, man, I don't think they're good. Play them. Georgia lost one time in 2021. That was Alabama. Beat them in the national championship. Right? Alabama lost to Texas A&M. You know, beat Georgia. Lost again. I'm just telling y'all, it is rough. When people be saying, I don't know if the talent got that different. It is, it is huge. Doesn't mean these teams can't be beat. Doesn't mean it. I just think that, Kevin, when we start talking about college football, top to bottom, the talent level isn't that. Like, look, if Alabama – was another conference? We'll see, but yeah, we we know how they, we know how this story ends. <laughs> Bryce Young and Will Anderson they get the, they get the horse up. A na- that's uh, you that's, know, that's why people want to expand the playoffs. At least give us a chance. 
uh, to get in there and have a little fun before Alabama steals it all. we got more to come. It's three and out. Final hour around the corner here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Final hour of the show. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. We'll hear from Gary Stoken, Atlanta Sports Council. Obviously, Georgia and Oregon going to open the season there in Atlanta. Georgia Tech and Clemson going to play on Labor Day night uh, there in Mercedes-Benz as well. So we'll hear uh, from him coming up in just a little bit. But, uh, Ben, obviously talked a little Georgia football earlier in the show with Jordan Hill. A lot of folks weighing in about Georgia and kind of where they're at here at this point in the preseason. Roy Weaver sending us a comment saying, anxious to see if Stetson is going to have to throw more. That defense is not going to be as good. Will Kirby pull Bennett if he starts with the interceptions? Your thoughts there, uh, Ben, as obviously the defense lost a lot of guys to the National Football League and Stetson coming back. Is there going to be a little impatience if the offense stands in the way early? It will be some impatience, but I don't think it's going to be Stetson. Ben, is, uh, he's going to be the reason why it is impatient. I already know they're going to have that three-headed monster at tight end, you know, with Eric Gilbert, or, you know, with Brock Bowers, with Darnell Washington. You're talking about, you know, McKinney Milton, those guys, McIntosh and those guys. But when somebody says the defense is not going to be as good, doesn't mean they're still not going to be really, really good. Like, you, are, are we, well, I mean, are we're we, talking not as good as historic, yeah, I'm as sorry. historically. That's like, that, yeah, that's like saying, well, you know, the Ravens weren't, the Ravens defense ain't as good as they were in the 2000. I'm sorry. Like, we are comparing last year's Georgia's defense was about as good as it can get. That's taking nothing away from the great defenses of the past. So when people go, yes, every team has got to take a step back. But Georgia is still miles and miles ahead of everybody, even if they're not as good. And how do we know they're not going to be as good? Like, this is the thing. Got to let the problem, listen, the problem with greatness is comparing it to stuff all the time. No, you won the national championship. You reminisce on it. Now you let Jalen Carter and company, Nolan Smith and company go out there and see what they can do. Because make no mistake about it, they still going to be a hard out. It's going to be rough to deal with Georgia this year. If Georgia goes back to running the football like we've grown to know them and do, Kevin, in the past, they were harder to beat then than when they were throwing it. Because then it's a slow death. They're just beating you up three or four yards at a time, three or four yards at a time, three or four yards at a time. They go over the top when they need to. They throw on first down, right? They, they, they go run or pass a second down. If it's third and one, they, 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 they run it. If it's third and three or more, they're going to pass it. But next thing you know, can't nobody block Jalen Carter. Oh, there go Nolan Smith. I'm telling y'all. The one thing the the one thing the great teams do better than anybody else, they reload like it's nobody's business. Because, yeah, Georgia's not gonna be as good as next year, last year. All right, new, they, they, they go Captain Obvious again. They're still gonna be really, really good. How do I know? Even though I don't like to give any credit, they preseason top three, top three. Oh, who's over them? Ohio State, Ohio State, and Alabama. Surprise, surprise. Who's right. below them? Clemson. Notre Dame is five, I believe. So I, I while I do understand that. You know, Kevin, when you see your team winning, when they've been knocking at the door for so long, when they finally kicked it down, who did they kick it down with? Jordan Davis by himself. Boom, kicked it in. They're going to Kobe Dean and company. And I get it. When you when your team is good enough to be one of the last teams standing, I get it. But stop looking for Stetson Bennett to be a scapegoat. We've been doing this with Stetson Bennett for the last three years. Stetson Bennett has been in a room with five stars since he got to Georgia. And he's outplayed them all. Outplayed them all. And he got a ring. So I know that everybody's so anxious in, in Georgia, you know, in Georgia land to see Stetson Bennett get up and say, okay, you don't appreciate what you got. Because guess what? If they were better than him, they would have played. They actually recruited them. They asked Stetson to come back. So all I'm saying, it's not going to be Stetson. Stetson Bennett has earned the right to throw some picks. But guess what? He don't throw a lot of picks. 
A lot of picks in Stetson Bennett is what, 10? They don't throw a lot of picks? The defense is going to be fine. They're going to run the football. They're going to be good on defense. They're going to they they be the hunter and not the hunted. And they're not going to be as good as 2021. That's every team. <laughs> That's that's that that is that dude's like that is the breakdown of every single team. Alabama gonna be better than they did last year. Uh uh-uh, uh, because they're gonna win it all this year. They was in a rebuild and still won the SEC and went to the national well, championship. I mean, I mean, you know that, that's that was some, Nick Saban. That, that, you know that but, that's that tomfoolery going on coming out of uh, Nick Saban's mouth. But Kevin, once again, no, my point. But but your point about Stetson is, and I don't understand why after a year of this, more people. I mean, and again, Roy, I appreciate the question, but. You know, will Kirby pull Bennett if he starts with the interceptions? Well, why, why would he do that, right? And, and again, because he's continuously outplayed JT Daniels when he was there, Carson Beck, and others. So, and, and hear me out on this, Ben. Kirby's now in an interesting spot. Hey, what if Stetson starts with the INTs? You're going to do what? You're going to put Carson Beck in there who has, what, maybe 100 career snaps? You're going to put Brock Vandegrift in there who has not played a, a, a snap that even remotely mattered uh, and think he's not going to throw picks? Am I, I mean, where am I missing this? Right? I mean, it's, so Stetson struggles. You're playing Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You could turn it over to, to Carson Beck and say, go get him. Hope you don't make a mistake even though you haven't played. You've been, in the, you've been, in the, been on the program a while. You've you practiced really well, but it's about to look a whole lot different out there in live game. I've been you've 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 told me this since I've known you. I don't care what guys do in practice. No, nope. like you have said this. Like I care. Like they need to be doing, but practice doesn't mean anything when you get out there to the game and it's a hundred miles an hour. The other team's doing things you haven't seen your own teammates do, and yep. I was like, so again, Stetson is playing for a reason. If he throws picks, you're going to do what? Put and you say. Put a less experienced person back there. Put a way less <laughs> yeah. experienced person yes. back there and expect yes. them not to make yes. any mistakes. Yeah. I think that's a, a recipe for disaster. Stetson comes back. He's your starting quarterback. Now, now, and to me, he's your starting quarterback yeah. until he proves otherwise. Like, and When I say prove otherwise, like you're sitting there going, okay, we've got two, three losses. We're obviously not going to the playoffs. Let's develop the future. I don't think looking at Georgia's schedule, it's going to get to oh, that Hold point. on, Kevin. Hold on, hold on. But, like, let, not even close. But let me say this to you, though, Roy. No. Is there a shot that Stetson Bennett has a bad day and they had to pull him? Yeah. Who you think starting the next week, though? Like that. See, this isn't a this isn't a, a Spencer Rattler situation. No, Caleb Williams was better than Spencer. He gave them a better shot. He Spencer Rattler gets pulled in the, in the Texas game. Caleb Williams comes in and wins the game. Stetson Bennett, if he has a bad game over the last three years, newsflash, it happens. You know who threw the most picks? When they was coming out the year after the year they won the national championship, Deshaun Watson. You know who threw a bunch of picks the year after they after they won the national championship? Jameis Winston. Like it happens. Like sometimes I get to show that I'm human. Sesame Bennett, just Sesame Bennett, if Sesame Bennett was 6'3, people would be going, okay, y'all are getting mad at this man's genetics. Guess who ain't guess who guess who's just guess who the same size as Sesson? Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield, well, I mean, Russell but, Wilson. But but here's what gets me about even the question. I know we broke it down there about, will Kirby pull Stetson? Yeah. Here's the thing that even gets me about that is I don't even think that's where Georgia is best. Georgia is best when they line up and beat people to yes, death. Yes, yes. Running old the football. School, old school punching them out football. And again, 
Why is Brock Bowers and those? Why, why are those guys so successful? Because you have to stay in and yes. guard against. Yes. You know, five one guys on beating ones. you on the yes. line of scrimmage. Yes. And they're going to try to run it down your throat. And you had a four-headed monster of guys who could all come in and, and get it done in a big way last year. So to me, it's like if Stetson struggles, okay, quit throwing the football. Exactly. I, 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 so I, again, I say that you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but it's like, hey, our plan was to throw it 25, 30 times today. Well, Stetson didn't have it. Okay, don't throw it so much. Run the ball, and you'll probably still beat a lot of people. Why? Because you have a dynamic group of running backs who can come in and do a number of different things, and you can stay fresh, you can stay healthy, and you can wear teams down. And it's a recipe for success as long as football has been played. Uh, Ben, again, say what you want about, oh, run the football is boring. It still wins. It still wins. People can talk about the the, the spread, and yep. they can talk about this and that. Running the football still wins. Mike Leach, God love him. I love Mike Leach. Yep. Seen him a number of times at Texas Tech and Washington State. You're like, that gum, they, they, they ran up 60 points. And guess what? Mm-hmm. They had a chance to blow the game. Why? Because they couldn't line up and run the football with four minutes to go. And, and they just weren't able to do it. I think Georgia, to me, is, no. is, a, is a team that, look, you want to be spread. You want to say, why don't we throw it around? But at your core, you run the ball. That's what yes, you're good, that's you, what you you're want, good you at. You want to. And, Kevin, this is the thing, right? <laughs> so I think at some level, you take it out of Stetson. And I'm not saying you should. I, but I'm saying if he struggles, mm-hmm. just say, hey, man, we're going to dial it back. And we're going to make we're going no, to beat, no, no. we're going to beat on them for yep. a minute. And, and lean on them for a little bit. And we'll still probably score points and win. So I, 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 I think it's an interesting question for Georgia fans. To me, Stetson's the guy. Yes. Unless he gets hurt. Yes, uh, because you're going to put a, le- a lesser guy in there in terms of experience, and there's other strategies if he struggles, i.e., don't throw the ball. Hand it off, and you'll still be pretty, pretty successful. Listen, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, all these guys got a shot to be, you know, first-round picks. How many of them got a natties? None of them. I'm talking about as a starter. Bryce Young has one, not as a starter. No, but I mean, but but even Alabama, had they been winning, Brandon Robinson is, is going to start beating on you, right? But, that's, but, that's what yeah, you yeah, got to yeah, do. And, 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 but this is the thing, right? This is what I don't get. This is what I don't get. Stetson Bennett is more, yes, is, is he an outlier as far as, Stetson Bennett did what Kyler Murray, right, and a guy like Baker Mayfield couldn't do. Smaller quarterbacks, man, yeah, they went on to be the number one overall picks and win the Heisman, but man, they ain't win the national championship. Why is it, Georgia fans, y'all are looking for Stetson to get pulled. He is not the problem. I don't get that. I mean, if Stetson struggles, Stetson struggles. Where's JT Daniels? On team number three. He's in West Virginia. Talking about, hey, Mountain let's ride. <laughs> Trying to sound like Russell. <laughs> get out of here with the trash. I'm serious. Like, think about that. Think about that. So I don't I don't get I don't get the Stetson Bennett uh slander because he is a one of one. Right? David Green, you know, DJ Shockley, uh, you know, I mean Jake Fromm, you know, Matthew Stafford. Buck, Buck Baloo, Stetson Bennett. That's the resume. That's it. That's it. That's so all it needs I, to be, yeah. Yeah, so all, so all I'm saying is, if Stetson does have a bad game, the worst, let me tell you, I'm going to say this, the worst thing can happen is Stetson get hurt. And I'm praying that it don't happen. But y'all want these other quarterbacks so bad. And, they, and, and, and Kevin, we ain't talking about like these boys ain't been there for a couple of years. They've been there like a couple of years. They ain't true freshmen. They've been to practice. They've been to meetings. They've been to lifting. 
Kirby Smart goes to the staff meeting and go, who's our quarterback? Stetson Bennett. Coach, I got, hell no, not him, not him, not Stetson. <laughs> I'm just saying, because Kevin, at the end of the day, right, and they 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", big arms. And they watch Stetson every day. The mailman has been delivering since he got there, either through durability, availability, accountability, you know, but, you know, and, and now he got that ring. And guess what? He got the new haircut. I, I, I've seen the new cut. You know what I'm saying? I just think that certain times, Kevin, we certain guys, they just looking for a reason to get rid of him. And I give you every reason to show you, hey, man, I'm the best player. I, I, don't, I, use my, I let my play do the talking. I'm sure, look, I'm sure if you were to inject truth serum into a lot of people around Georgia, you, you would say, yeah, we're surprised Stetson came back. Natty, go out on top. And I don't know how many people been expected that. I think a lot of people said, well, it's either going to be JT Daniels or it'll be Carson Beck, or they'll just roll the dice and put, you know, Brock Vandegrift out there and say, we're going with you, young pup, and, and, and let's see what happens and continue your development. But that's not what happened. Stetson said, hey, no, I, I want to no, 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 run it back. No, no I'm saying, and well, I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm saying, but in the back of their minds, did Stetson kind of mess up some of the plannings when he's like, oh, we don't yep, think he's coming he back. Be, yep. He's coming back. Yep. But now that he is back, yep. again, I can't think of another program, as you said, I don't, can't think of another program in America where you win the national championship and people are saying, how long is this guy going to be our quarterback <laughs> yeah. when he just won for you? Yes. Uh, you know, and, whoa, whoa. And, and not only did he do that, Kevin, listen, listen, they go into the season last year, they're looking at this defense. Dan Lanning and them are saying, hey, man, this is the team. Because we got a defense, right? They saying, hey, man, you think Stetson get us that? Because make no mistake about it. Now, this time last year, J.T. Daniels, J.T. Daniels, I get it. Five-star coming over from USC, I get it, right? He got the stars next to his name, right? Mm-hmm. Problem is, he hurt all the time. So it's Stetson. Here it is. Hey, man, Stetson's starting to win, man. Hey, we winning every game. Hey, game after game after game after game after game after game. Hey, man, we going into the SEC championship game undefeated. Alabama, listen, Alabama had a day that game. Boom, right? Yep, Mechie, Bryce Young, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, James Williams, I get it. He bounced back. He got Michigan. Beat the brakes off of Michigan. You know they were going to beat Michigan. Now they're back in the natty again against Alabama. They get the rematch. I know people say, oh, man, it's hard to beat a team twice. <laughs> Alabama do it all the time. Don't give me that nonsense. And he got it done. They go Brock Vanderbilt, they go all of them. They go yeah. Carson Beck watching. If he was not, think about this. You had a five-star you wanted and a walk-on as the backup. You had five-stars backing them up. You could have pushed them. If they would have pushed those guys over Stetson, we would have lived with it. But they weren't better than him. Bottom line, they weren't ready. Because, Kevin, like you say, hey, man, batting practice ain't the game, bro. <laughs> I, I, I'm yeah. just saying, like, like, the game is, hey, man, they coming at me. What you mean? Bro, they coming at me fast, too. Can you improvise? Not only could I improvise, I had a bad first half, and I didn't get pulled, and I won in the second half in the national championship. Because when Tua won his first, it's because he only played one half to win his. Because when he played the full game, they got the brakes beat off him by Clemson. That happened the next year. I'm not saying it was, it was his fault. I'm just saying, so for everybody that wants Stetson Bender to be gone, what would your team look like? I guarantee people say, J.J. Daniels could have won it. B.S.? <laughs> I don't think JJ, I don't think JJ Daniels could have won it because at the end of the day, Kevin, game experience is the only experience that matters. And he had what Mississippi State, the Chick Fil A people. Y'all needed y'all kicker to have a freaking cannon in his leg to win that one. Cincinnati was going back and forth with y'all. I'm not saying they they wouldn't have won it in the end, 
But we went crazy over JT Daniels. The boy don't even know where Atlanta is. He think Atlanta <laughs> is right there. Welcome to Atlanta when he got off the plane. So, Stetson, keep doing what you're doing, man. While Stetson is the exception to the rule, hey, man, sometimes exceptions make the rule. And this dude is doing it on an on one, he was the number one team in the country all season last year and only lost once. Man, come on, man. How many people can say that? Get yeah, out of here. I, I, I can't believe that, you know, people are like, are still, hey, if it starts going a certain way, is Kirby going to pull him? I mean, no. I don't think he will. I think you change the game plan and say, hey, he's not having a good game. Let's run the ball and, and, and lean on people because Georgia at their core still is a running football team. We got more to come. Here it is, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Gary Stoking going to join us. We'll hear from him coming up on the show as well. Georgia and Oregon in Mercedes-Benz on that uh, opening Saturday. Then Georgia Tech-Clemson going to be there on Labor Day night. So a big opening weekend there in Atlanta. It's 3 and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com. And on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to ESPN Coastal on YouTube. and You can watch the show along with us there. Coming right back, Gary Stoking joins us next. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here on this Monday afternoon. Heck of a start to the college football season uh, right around the corner. The uh, Georgia Bulldogs are going to be taking on Oregon there in the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic in Mercedes-Benz. And then you have Georgia Tech-Clemson on Monday night earlier. BJ and Ben had a chance to sit down with Gary Stoken. Uh, CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and the Atlanta Sports Council to talk about the start of that college football uh, kickoff classic there in Atlanta. Really excited about the start of the season. We just went through uh, all the conference media days, all the talking season, and now we're into camps and getting ready within a month to uh, kick off the season with number two Georgia against number 10 Oregon. And it's a fascinating matchup. Uh, you have the defending national champs, obviously, right there in Atlanta. Dan Landing with Oregon, two programs that have been uh, two of the more recognizable, successful, clearly, programs in college football. Talk about how this matchup came together. Well, and you also have Bo Nix, who could potentially be quarterbacking uh, Oregon against Georgia again after doing it with Auburn. So uh, a lot of, lot of uh, great stories here, but... You know, originally I met with uh, Mario Cristobal, who was coach of Oregon, probably three years ago at, at Pac-12 Media Days. And I said, look, we've got Georgia and Kirby coming into play in 2022 in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game. How would you like to play him? And he said, oh, man, we'll be ready by then. I'd love to play Kirby. Um, and Mario knew from being on Alabama staff with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart how much the uh, kickoff games really mean to getting a team ready and how the impact they could have on a team uh, with the CFB. And so uh, he says, yeah, we'd love to play him. So um, we were able to put the deal together with Rob Mullins, the AD at Alabama, all right, uh, Oregon, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, we got the matchup for 22 set. <laughs> and then Mario gets the Miami job. And ironically enough, Dan Lanning, who just who's the defensive coordinator of Georgia, as you mentioned, for their national championship team, gets the Oregon job. So um, you never know how these things are going to work out. Better lucky than good. So we're lucky that uh, we've got this matchup. And Phil Steele has Oregon ranked 10th and uh, Georgia's second. So um, it's a top 10 matchup. 
Gary, talk about the relationship you have with a guy like Kirby Smart. Obviously, George is one of the premier programs in the country coming off a national championship, but to have the head coaches coming to you, he's calling your phone saying, hey, and Gary, listen, we would love to be a part of the, you know, our, you know, the kickoff and having a guy like that who's understands that coordination in this business is just as big as anything else. Well, Kirby's the only uh, person who has played in a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl coached at Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and coached the Chick-fil-A kickoff game and played in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl Challenge golf tournament. So uh, we've got a great relationship with Kirby. It goes back to uh, when Kirby was an assistant in Alabama. I'd always go over and see Nick Saban. But I made sure I stopped by to see Kirby because uh, not only is he a great guy, great personality, but I respected his work as defensive coordinator at Alabama. And knew in the future he would be a head coach somewhere. Didn't know if it would be Georgia or where, but uh, maintained a good relationship with him. And then when he got the Georgia job, he told me, he says, Gary, I will play in as many Chick-fil-A kickoff games as you'll have us. So we scheduled them in uh, 20, 22, and 24. Uh, 24 will be against Clemson. 22 we know this year against Oregon and 20. We had them against Virginia, but it got canceled because of COVID. Um, and, and ironically enough, in 16, a game already scheduled with North Carolina in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game was Kirby's first game as a head coach of Georgia, which they won. So uh, really close relationship with Kirby and all that he's met uh, at the University of Georgia. So we're looking forward to hosting them in uh, this year and also in 24. And I know that they'd like to uh, – They'd like to play in Atlanta three times this year, once in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game, once in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl uh, in December 31st because we have the semifinal game, and then obviously in the SEC championship earlier in December. No doubt. As we're chatting with Gary Stoken, the uh, Peach Bowl president and CEO, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game coming up, Georgia and Oregon, the defending national champions, uh, opening the season there in Atlanta. And, and look, we're in an era – uh, of the playoff where big games matter. Uh, these matchups are more important than ever. The Chick-fil-A kickoff game, uh, the nation's longest-running kickoff game, by the way, and, and has helped kind of reshape the era of, of college football we're in with these big games. How important are these neutral site games, these early season games like what you guys have to, to college football in the sport today? Well, I only have to point to 2017 when number one Alabama played number three Florida State in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game to open Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And Alabama won the game. At the end of the year, the CFP selection committee, uh, when they decided what four teams would be in the college football playoff, Alabama did not win the SEC that year. However, Alabama, because they'd beaten Florida State in a big neutral game, got into the playoff at number four and wound up winning the national championship. So, you know, this game is huge for Georgia uh, because if they were to beat Oregon and Oregon, let's say, goes on to win the Pac-12, and if Georgia were not to win the SEC uh, but have a great season and win the East, it very easily could propel them into the playoff. On the reverse of that, if Georgia wins the game and Oregon wins the Pac-12, and Georgia goes ahead and wins the SEC, it could help propel Oregon into the playoffs. So uh, this is one of the big uh, benefits of playing in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. And there is such a thing as well as if you lose this game, 
and you have a great season and you're the team that beat you has a great season, you still have an opportunity to have what the CFP calls a good loss. Uh, so there is things as good losses, and you're better off with a good loss than an easy win over a nondescript team in an opening game. And Gary, I mean, I you know, I you know, I saw an interview you was doing with our own uh, Christian Gokel one time. You was talking about what the Peach Bowl is now uh, compared to what people, not yourself, the opinions that people had about it. You know, starting back in 1990, when you see where it's come, you know, in the last what 22 years now, and you, I mean, 32 years now. I'm sorry, when you look at what it's doing now, from not just you know the Peach Bowl and, and the New Year's Six, and uh, you know the college football playoff, and the SEC championship, and Atlanta being the epicenter. Of college football, it's got to make you feel good knowing that, hey man, this ain't this ain't just the Peach Bowl anymore. This is the prestigious, the world-renowned Peach Bowl. Well, I, I appreciate that, Ben. It means a lot coming from you. I, uh, you know, I remember in 2016. Uh, well, go back 1998 when I first got the job. Um, I selected Georgia and Virginia as chair of our uh, uh, selection committee. Atlanta Journal Constitution's Mark Bradley, writer, said the headline was Georgia going to third-tier bowl game back in 1998 playing Virginia. So fast forward to 2016, we were hosting number one Alabama against number four Washington in the semifinal of the CFP. And when I did the press conference, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 100 people there. And Mark Bradley was in the third row. I looked right in the third row, right at Mark Bradley, and I said, yeah, not bad for the old Peach Bowl that was a third-tier bowl game hosting number one against number four. So, yeah, we've come a long way, and um, we've done it with a lot of great support, corporate support in Atlanta by people like Chick-fil-A and, and Delta and Home Depot and Kia, uh, as well as having the best staff in the bowl business and just fantastic volunteers. So, uh, we're very blessed to be in Atlanta. A lot of people have called it the capital of college football now that we're part of the New Year's Six, hosting semifinals, hosting national championship games, hosting the big Chick-fil-A kickoff games, having the uh, College Football Hall of Fame here, and uh, having the SEC championship. So we've a lot of people work very hard, but uh, very smart and very strategically to position Atlanta and position the, uh, the old Peach Bowl in the, in the place we are right now. Gary Stoken here with us, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, and uh, Gary, finally, obviously just a ton going on uh, when you think about the Chick-fil-A kickoff game and, uh, and uh, Georgia and Oregon, but fan activities, you're talking about tailgate town, you're talking about the team walks, football in the, in the pregame atmosphere. Uh, tell folks all that's going to be going on on game day. Yeah, we're going to start the week off on Thursday with uh, a National Down Syndrome dinner where we're going to honor Georgia, Georgia Tech, Oregon, and Clemson, the four teams playing our Chick-fil-A kickoff teams for their uh, uh, incredible work they do with uh, disabled uh, individuals. Uh, they have curriculums at their school, and uh, so we're going to honor those four schools. Uh, we'll sponsor that and make a donation of $50,000 to the National Down Syndrome Consortium. Uh, then on Friday, we've got a VIP reception. Um, and then on uh, Saturday, we've got our team walks, and we've got Tailgate Town where we'll have all kinds of sponsor activation. We'll have a uh, big screen up for people to watch the games prior to our game. And then our team walks will take place approximately two hours 
uh, before the game as the teams walk into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And then we'll kick off uh, on uh, on Saturday at 3.30. On Sunday, we've got our kickoff uh, game football fest where we'll close Marietta Street and have all kind of uh, activities and activation outside of the College Football Hall of Fame, as well as Hall of Famers in the Hall of Fame to interact with the, the uh, fans. And then on Monday, we'll uh, kick off the ACC season with number five, Clemson, against Georgia Tech uh, on ESPN in primetime at 8 o'clock in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Wonderful Thank to you. hear Gary Stoken, uh, our guest, kind enough to join us here on Three and out. Gary, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on uh, all your success, and uh, we'll see you soon. College football is right around the corner. Well, Ben and BJ, thanks for having us. Come visit us in Atlanta. We look forward to hosting you. Thanks so much. That's Gary Stoken, president and CEO of the Peach Bowl, here on Three and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Monday. No Braves baseball today as they lick their wounds from a horrible weekend there in New York. Been pretty much nothing else to uh, to say about that for the most part. Just all bad all the way uh, all the way around. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But just heard from Gary Stoken, Georgia and, and Oregon going to start this thing off uh, in Atlanta. Ben and so many storylines. You know, Dan Lanning. People forget about Bo Nix uh, is going to be most likely the starting quarterback. And remember, Bo Nix kind of got his. I, I, again, I guess this is everything comes full circle in life, right? Bo Nix kind of first shot onto the scene when Auburn beat Oregon, right? In wasn't that in Atlanta? Uh, one of yes. his first big wins yes, was yes. Oregon. It was Auburn beating Oregon, and yes. that was Bo Nix. Yes. So uh, you know it, it comes full circle. Now here he is, one more run. He's with Oregon, playing Georgia in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So for Bo Nix, I mean, to me, that is a storyline that's probably not getting talked about enough because. You have the defending national champs. Dan Landing goes over. How quickly can he get his team up to play a, uh, a Georgia team? And I kind of feel about this Georgia team, uh, Ben, the way people said about Alabama. If you're going to get Alabama, last year was a good time to do it. If you're going to get Georgia, to me, the first month of the season might be your – if you're not an Alabama or someone like that, if you're just Joe College football team, your best chance to get Georgia might be that first part of the season – and if you're Oregon, you got to be Dan, Dan Landing going there saying this might be a good shot to catch them in a growth moment where maybe they're not where they're going to be seven weeks from now uh, coming in. To me, it's a fascinating, fascinating matchup. It is, it is, because let, let's call it what it is. You know, no matter what happens with these first with the first game, if Georgia loses to Oregon, it doesn't hurt them. It's a top ten matchup, right? If Oregon beats Georgia, it's going to be the talk of college football for one week, and Georgia's going to go on a tear <clears throat> in the SEC East, which is what they're going to do regardless. Dan Landing. It's trying to do something that most people it's hard to do. Now it used to be Nick Saban doesn't lose to the guys that came under his coaching tree. Now it was the Kirby Smart coaching tree with the Sam Pittmans of the world, you know, with the Mel Tuckers of the world. Now Dan Lanning's. Can Dan Lanning do the unthinkable? With a guy who's coming from the end. So you got a former SEC defensive coordinator, a former starting quarterback in the SEC West, both trying to pair up uh, to be able to come back to the Dome, stay to his Dome, and beat, and beat Big Bag Georgia. Now, it's going to be a sea of red and black. I know that Oregon has the opportunity to buy tickets. Outside <laughs> of field night, there ain't going to be a lot of Oregon Ducks in the building. I'm just telling y'all that right now. But that's what makes uh, that's what makes these, a game you know, at Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium with a team like Georgia and Oregon so incredible. That goes back to the coaches' poll again. Now, you got to quote, top ten matchup in week one. You know, form, you know, former you know, uh, you know, teacher versus student. 
former defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. And I, I will say this. If you are Dan Lanning in Oregon, you could come in this thing with a – we. it's not an us-against-the-world mentality. We can't lose no matter what happens. And, Kevin, I'm not already calling a loss for Oregon. I'm just saying sometimes it's how you look in defeat. Because Georgia, if they don't just come just beat the brakes off of Oregon, they're going to be, uh-oh, especially if you know who was the starting quarterback. Oh, Stetson didn't look like himself. Bo Nix, former – and that's, could you imagine? Stetson Bennett, Georgia wins, but Stetson doesn't look stellar – and just say Bo Nix has more passing yards. I mean, that's what happened when you got a five-star. No, it just means that, you know, Bo Nix won the Iron Bowl his, his, uh, his freshman year. Won his first game out the gate against the Oregon team. Now he's an Oregon Duck coming back to play against Georgia. I don't care who you are. Going up against Georgia, that is the barometer. That is the measuring stick, not name Alabama. I think, I think it got a chance to be a good game, you know, opening game jitters. But, Kevin, you know just like I know. <clears throat> Uh, it's a halftime adjustment. Oh, Georgia going to come out second half ready to go, a.k.a. Uh, put their hand in the dirt, hand it off to these running backs, and let's see. Get these 300-pound men to lean on these leaner, you know, quicker defensive players uh, for Oregon. Dan, and when Dan Lennox see, he's going to say, oh, because uh, <laughs> well, he's been there. I uh, sure. And, 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 and this is the thing. You would think that people that have been there got a, got a better shot. Well, look how long it took Kirby Smart to beat Nick Saban. Like, Kirby been to Georgia a nice little while now. Finally beat him. Look how he had to beat him. The greatest defense we've probably ever seen in college football. Right? That, that, that's how you beat Alabama. Oregon, they're going to have athletes because Dan Lanning has been in Georgia. He has some ties there. So, I can get an SEC caliber player to come to an Oregon team. But guess what? Yeah, that's a full SEC team over there with all SEC players. So, we'll see what happens. But if you are – if you are, you know, uh, you know, the kickoff, you know, you know, uh, Peach Bowl kickoff or Chick Fil A uh, kickoff, it's because I think. Wait a minute, you got Georgia, Oregon, then what? Two days later, or somebody like that three days later, you got what? Georgia Tech, I think Clemson. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Mercedes Benz, I just think that when you said, Kevin, you always said the epicenter of college football is Atlanta, right? Yeah. When you when you when you think about the epicenter. The only, and I'm sorry, the only uh, conference championship game that people care about is the championship game. Now you got you got the kickoff, you got the SC championship, you got college football playoff, sometimes national championship. All I'm saying is, I don't know, I don't know where the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl or the Mercedes Benz rank when it come to other, but when it come to New Year's Six like the Orange and the Rose and the Fiesta, but it's up there, it's up there. And like I say, uh, two things: stay away from Alabama first game of the year. George is becoming that team too. Dan Lanning was like, "Hey man, if that yeah, they 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 uh, Dan Lanning forgot all about playing Georgia the first game when he first signed with uh, Oregon. Hey man, I'm gonna be the next head coach at Oregon, man. Yeah, y'all got Georgia first game. What? Sam Pittman was over there in the corner with his hand on his mouth, pointing to Dan like that's what you get too. Because I had to play them, but at, but it should be a good game, Kevin. But I do agree. If you ever gonna quote, 2021 was the year to beat Alabama. They lost twice." If there's every year to catch Georgia, it's the first game. Well, it's I mean, the first I'm saying, game. but yes, uh, they're, they're not going to be weaker in week seven or eight. Uh, you know, I, so you got a lot of moving parts, a lot of guys stepping up in big roles. Maybe there's a chance for confusion. Uh, I, again, just because I say it's your best chance doesn't mean it's a great chance. I just think it's your best chance. Uh, if you're going to get them, you better hope you're one of those teams that play them early in the season while they're still figuring some of the new guys out that are stepping into prominent roles. we got more to come. Here it is, three and out.
on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you back here. It is three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. No Braves tonight. They are licking their wounds, Ben. A tough weekend in New York against the Mets. And as you see here on Monday, yeah, I came on the show. I'll, I'll own up to it. I thought the, I, I, th- I thought the Braves were going to play better. They did not. I give the Mets a lot of credit for that because the Braves played awful. As you said, even in the game they won, they were up 8 nothing, and you, you had to kind of ride it out a minute to see if they were going to close it out. Can they win the division? I think they can, but it's really perilous uh, at this point. You've got to perform really well head-to-head against the Mets from here on out. Uh, the Mets are really good. Does that mean the playoffs are done for the Braves? No. I think, to me, Ben, it's a good wake-up call for this Braves team. Uh, because from June into July, they had a 14-game winning streak. They were winning on the, the whole Braves meme of, the Braves never lose, kind of got started. And then you got to the reality check of, this is the most important series of the season on the road, and you won one of five. Kind of a chance to sit back and reset and see where you go from here if you're Atlanta because you, you didn't play well in a lot of aspects of the game. Yeah, Kevin, and the thing is, give give credit when credit is due. The Mets understand the task at hand. It's almost like the, the Braves have given a blueprint of how to win this division. You got to play some – you got to place a lot of distance between you and the Braves and hopefully they can catch you. And then when you play them head-to-head, put more distance in between you and them because – the Mets understand that, hey, the Nats, well, as of recent, they've won it. They won a World Series. Phillies, they got a star-studded roster. Well, but obviously, even the Phillies, I think that I saw a stat since 2000, and obviously that's 22 years, but since 2000, every team in the East, except the Mets, has won a World Series. So and, the Phillies have, the Marlins have, the, Met, uh, the, the Braves have, the Nationals have, the Mets have not. And, and, and they got, listen, that's got the way of you go to the Mets. Number one, you are in New York with, you know, I mean, the evil empire. That's so you got to yeah. deal with that all the time. But then you deal with the fact that, look, man, hey, uh, not only are we battling for, you know, for respectability in our state, we're the only team as a, that hasn't won the World Series. So I, if you are the Mets, Kevin, like I said, I mean, you, you're doing all you can to keep pay, You're doing all you can to keep this between you and the Braves, understanding that the Mets, if the Mets showing you anything when it comes to the Braves, it's this. Hey, man, the playoffs, they different, though. What do you mean? Oh. As good as they are in the regular season, they know in the series, though, those guys got not only postseason experience, they got World Series winning experience. Because the last time the Mets was in the World Series against the Royals didn't go that well, right? So I, I think if you are the Mets, it's kudos to what they're doing with the Grom and Scherzer and company. They get to know Pete Alonso is about as dangerous as it gets at the plate. Sure. You get that dude anything. Now, great, you know, great uh, home run, Rob. Uh, by, by Ronald Acuna Jr. And great to see Ronald Acuna getting back to who he is. Hopefully he can – because we're going to need Ronald Acuna Jr. to be himself down the stretch. But the Mets got the best of the Braves. The last couple of – you know, the last two series that they played each other. They got a series coming up here soon, Kevin. But as far as like one week and good riddance, I'm happy to get that over with. That was hard to watch <laughs> because the game – like you mentioned, the Braves was up 8-0. to They scratched the claw to win that one. The other four, I, it, it was – it was kind of over from the start. I mean, errors and guys being outside of themselves. And Marcelo Zona, may God help you, sir. What do you be doing yeah, I'm in not, left field? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think most fans are saying, can we just eat the salary at this point? Like, <laughs> I, 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 It's again, hard to watch. It's hard to watch. It, he, he can't play in the field. And really at the plate, it's been a roller coaster ride of epic proportions yeah. uh, as well. So we'll see what Brian Sticker and company have to do there. Uh you just can't even afford to put him in the field at this point uh, moving forward. We've got so much to get to. 
Uh, coming up throughout this week, Braves and Red Sox this week, a four-gamer with the Marlins. So a chance to try to find some winning ways as they move along. And, of course, college football is in full ramp-up towards the start of the season. If you missed any of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. Go to our YouTube channel, ESPN Coastal on YouTube, and catch the podcast version of the show. See you tomorrow. Three and out.